welcome to another episode of the Sunny 16 podcast. It is episode 111 and Aid is still on holiday, so I'm afraid you're stuck with me, but you are also stuck with the very lovely Rach. Rach, how are you? Hi! Yes, I'm here. I can't believe it. Show 111. Who thought it? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually we've had some nice rain in Liverpool uh, this week, which has been great. We've also had hail. We've had uh, gale force winds. <laughs> It's uh, it's all been a bit crazy. Suddenly, we seem to have plunged into into the autumn weather. So, uh, yeah, I um, I managed to find myself a a nice beer in the fridge, and uh, I'm ready for another show with you, Graham. Yeah, it's a shame that Aid's not here with us. So um, we kind of miss him. Um, but I imagine at the moment he's off kicking our asses on the uh, cheap shots challenge, taking beautiful beautiful landscapes and things. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't feel that bad for him no, no. <laughs> unless he's got washed into the sea of course in all the uh, gales and wind and rain that, well that's Remember. true that's true but yeah. as always listeners we like to make sure that you don't miss aid too much so we have got another mm. quite quite brilliant guest with us this week joining us all the way from sunny is it sunny down in brighton at the moment probably not it's, it's late at night but it, it, it is it is surprisingly sunny. well there you go from sunny brighton is the delightful max from intrepid cameras max welcome to the show Woo. hello thank you for having me hey. <laughs> it's an absolute delight an absolute delight we were saying before we got on that uh, i heard you on the analog talk podcast way back in the early part of last year and i thought Oh, Max sounds great. We've got. We'll have to get him uh, on at some too point. Too kind. Too kind. Thank you. No. Well, it's lovely to have you here, um, because uh, Intrepid is uh, such a fascinating company. Such a fascinating company because you're oh, you're you manage to combine the best and the worst. You're you're out there doing great stuff, and at the same time, you're very young, which is very irritating to me. Um, <laughs> but. As always, I never want to assume that people listening to the show are inherently going to be familiar with um, what we're talking about. So, Intrepid Cameras, could you give us a quick overview on what Intrepid Cameras are and how they came to be in the first place? Sure, happy to. So, I think, well, I'll just tell the story of how it all sort of began and then that sort of gives you quite a good idea of what we do as well. So, about five years ago, as we're just saying, um, uh, I started... Um, wanting to shoot larger format than 35 mil and 120 and um, so sort of, you know when you sort of go on a bit of a google hunt you get suddenly get all excited about these new options but then you realize everything costs a small fortune and you can't actually you can't actually do that mm. um so i started thinking well i'll, I'll, I'll try and um, try and build a four by five camera how hard can that be <laughs> and, um, really hard turns out really really hard <laughs> Um, but I gave a few uh, few tries and uh, got somewhere close to a, a passable camera and ended up, um, at the same time this was going on, I was also doing, very conveniently, doing a degree in um, product design and engineering and sort of when faced with the challenge of what to do for the last year of this course, um, I thought, well, why don't I mix in what I'm actually doing as a hobby and then um, building large format cameras then became my degree, which is perfect because it was like, I was going to do that anyway. So um, that was convenient. And then um, went from there and um, uh, people sort of said, oh, this, you know, I also have been looking for an affordable 4x5 camera. Uh, the design you seem to be thinking around looks like that could work. Is there any way I could get this? And sort of more and more people started to ask. And I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe it would be worth 
sort of launching this into the world, a, a, a four by five camera that didn't cost thousands of pounds and wasn't sort of a fine crafted um, piece out of expensive woods, but something a bit more simple, a bit more easy for people to get into and less boundaries to entry, basically. So from there, went on to Kickstarter, and this was in uh, October 2014. We launched the 4x5 camera on Kickstarter, and it was, um, yeah, it was sort of the first affordable, modern 4x5 camera to sort of come out for quite a while. And we use um, sort of plywood and aluminium components. They're incredibly lightweight, they're incredibly compact. But I think the most important thing, as mentioned, sort of the most sort of interesting thing for people to get into is that it broke down that barrier to entry of people looking at it and thinking, God, this is, this is fascinating, but really expensive. So we just sort of wanted to work on making something that wasn't expensive. So we looked to sort of, in a similar way that film manufacturers have restructured recently to sort of look at economies of scale and how can you do something at a scale where it, you don't have sort of these huge um, overheads or you're just making one. We sort of looked at sort of um, how we could sort of make lots of cameras but um, at a low price and sort of setting up like that has worked really well for us. And from there we went to launch an 8x10 camera. That was about getting on 18 months ago and that sold really well. So we've got 4x5 and 8x10 and then we've got lots of exciting things coming in the future as well. So it's been incredible to sort of be part of this um, resurgence in analog photography and be able to let people who wouldn't have access to large format photography previously um, be able to use it. And obviously you've kept working on and iterating on your original 4x5 camera because you've just recently uh, released the Mark III version of we that. We have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we went, the Mark I was the Kickstarter version and then about a year after that we launched uh, a very updated version from the initial Kickstarter version, which was sort of like a beta model where people were getting involved right at the beginning. And then the Mark III is an improvement on the, the Mark II, basically. It's very similar to that, but it has a lot more functionality, a lot more, um, it's a lot more robust as well. You can really throw it about and it doesn't mind, which is, which is good for a, a camera you're going to be dragging all over the world, hopefully. Yeah. But actually, can we talk about that then? Because I know we um, chatted to Steve from Chroma about yes. um, his camera last year, and that was great, and I learned a lot then. But still, large format um, is the least explored part of photography that we ever get to chat about. So can you talk more specifically about... Um, exactly what kind of camera your camera is because obviously there's different kind of four by five cameras and yeah. and what you know what the new functionalities and what the changes are kind of in relation to that you can give people an idea of what, exactly what they can and can't do with uh an intrepid camera so the intrepid four by five mark three all our cameras are field cameras and this refers to um them being used out in the fields so they're very much a uh, type of camera you throw in your backpack and take on a hike or a journey. They're very um, lightweight and compact, which makes them ideal for that kind of thing. I mean, they're compact relative to 4x5 cameras. They're absolutely massive compared to, <laughs> yeah. to normal I'm, I'm familiar with that. My 4x5 my <laughs> camera has uh, accordioned my spine. Yes, yes. So it's like the wires are all under um, a kilo, which is, you know, they're sort of similar weight to a high-end DSLR, which does make quite a big difference when you're climbing up a mountain somewhere. But um, the way field cameras work is uh, they're sort of not as... Um, they don't have all the options for movements, and movements is a huge part of um, large-format photography. 
And it basically lets you move the plane that the film's in and the plane that the lens is in relative to each other so that you can affect perspective and you can change depth of field. And you can also make the image appear that the camera's in a different place to where it is. It's all very magical. And in doing this for five years now, I still can't, can't quite get my head around how it all works without actually doing it on a camera and then pointing at it and saying, that's, that's what I mean. Sang, when you say you can make it appear like the camera's in a different place, like so say, for example, you're taking a picture of me in Brighton and goes, look, it looks like the camera's in France. Is that what you mean? Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> it's the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> this is weird. No, it's, it's, um... Green screening. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it, yeah. Instead of um, instead of having um, the camera higher up on the tripod, you can simply write, uh, raise the front of raise the front of the um, the camera where the lens is, and it has the effect of looking like the entire camera has been raised up on the tripod. But maybe your tripod doesn't have any room to go up, so you can just make adjustments like that on camera rather than having to um, do other things. And that's great if you want to. Um, take pictures of tall buildings and things like that instead of the building bowing out at the top of the bottom because you're pointing the camera up you can actually keep everything straight and parallel and that gives you a great uh, amount of versatility particularly in landscape photography when you're thinking about cliffs trees canyons mountains it's quite hard to get all these things looking sort of natural yeah ironically when you're using a camera that doesn't have movements and suddenly to be able to affect perspective so you can see the image how the human eye sees it um, gives you a great amount of creative freedom yeah. So, so I, I've currently got um, Ronald a massive, hefty monorail camera. Um, and th- that thing moves this way, that way, backwards, forwards, and over the yeah, Irish yeah. Sea. Monorail's much more movements than field cameras, traditionally. So, um, what movements do field cameras have? In particular, what movements do the Intrepid Mark III have? And what do they have that the Intrepid Mark I and II didn't? So the Intrepid Mark 1 and 2 had the same amount of movements, but what we've added on them, and that was just on the front, and they were all controlled via two knobs on the front, so you couldn't control movements individually. You'd sort of loosen it off, and then you have freedom to do everything, which had pros and cons. It was simple to put lot, uh, movement on, but if you just wanted to do one slight change, it became a little bit more complicated because you had to make sure you weren't doing anything else at the same time. Uh, so on the Mark 3, you've got movements on the back of the camera, uh, so you've got rear swing and rear uh, fall and right. No, that's not right. Hang on. Rear swing and tilt on the back. They've all got very specific names that all sound very similar, so it's important to get them. <laughs> you've got rear swing and tilt on the back, which is something that wasn't on the Mark II or the Mark I. Yeah. On the front, you've got the same movements as you did before, but now they're all controlled by individual components. And this is a really nice feature because... It's something that you only find on really high-end 4x5s. To, so to have it on um, on an affordable one is, is is quite an exciting thing. And we were really like really chuffed when we managed to figure out a way of doing that that didn't involve many um, expensive milled components. We managed to do it with sort of the machinery we had, and it works incredibly well. So that's that's a nice um, yeah a nice feature to get on a camera that you um, didn't pay too much for. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've seen a lot of people, um, I mean, as you said, you've been around since 2014. And the Intrepid name, you were the first ones out there. And you certainly weren't the last ones. As I said, we've already mentioned Cromer and a couple of others we'll mention later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big what Steve's doing. He's a really nice guy. And I do wish him the best with them. Um, with his cameras after the Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the nice thing, is that 
the everybody who is involved because uh, at, the, at the moment there are a few people who are making and and primarily kickstarting at least at, at, at the affordable level um mm. uh, four by five cameras um but you all seem to be coming from the same place you are all makers first uh yeah. going oh here's a problem how can we solve it in our way and and because of that there seems to be just a really healthy um community almost of people doing this that it doesn't not yet anyway it hasn't got to the vicious backbiting like oh no um is that the case <laughs> no i mean no uh no, I can tell you some stories, but I won't. But no, there's a. <laughs> nah, everyone gets a, particularly in. Um, I mean, like I said, me and Steve have spoken. We get on well. I haven't spoken to uh, the current two that are on Kickstarter, but they seem, you know, they're doing their thing, and I'm happy for them. I mean, it's a very exciting time to be launching a product on Kickstarter. Particularly, it's amazing to see how many analog photography projects get launched on Kickstarter. It's only a positive for the whole community. So no, it's, it's great. Absolutely, absolutely. So you were talking about the fact that after you had the very successful launch of the um, 4x5 Mark One, you followed that up. Was it two years later or even three years later, actually, with the 8x10? I think it was about two years. About two years. Yeah, now, obviously, 8x10 is not just in size, but in kind of every aspect, quite a step up. How has the response been to the 8x10? So 8x10 is four times bigger and about 400 times more complicated to produce <laughs> to say it lightly why, um, why is that because as, as an idiot a pro, you know a professional <laughs> idiot but an idiot nonetheless i would just think well it's like a four by five but you know bigger sure so it's it's it comes down to um the tolerances on the machinery you're using. So, um, is structural integrity quite a different, quite a jump up as well in yeah, terms well, of? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a great point, Rachel. When you're using any material, um, if the material is smaller, it sort of holds its structure a lot better. Mm. And then when you start stretching that material over a much larger distance any faults in the material, any errors in the machining, any errors in the cutting start to really show themselves. And when you're dealing with large format, there's little to no room for error, which is fine. We have sort of the capability to um, to deal with this. But the building up the uh, manufacturing method and the production line to make sure that none of these errors snuck their way into the cameras um, was a big challenge. And um, fortunately, it's one we overcame and the cameras have been selling really well. And it's always an absolute pleasure to see people using them people regularly share their results and the pictures they're taking with us and just sort of the enjoyment they've had of going on a trip with a large format camera and even mm -hmm. if it didn't get some great pictures out of it it's more about the whole experience and i think eight by ten can can be even more of an experience using than um four by five yeah actually that's something i'd really like to talk to you about because again i think you were really at the forefront of kicking this off um i was listening to funnily enough the aforementioned analog no actually <laughs> i was listening to analog talk earlier but i was also listening to studio c41 it's a monday all the podcasts are dropping on the monday <laughs> we're not cool rich because our podcast doesn't drop on the monday but anyway we're, we're extra cool because ours arrives on the thursday so that's before the monday haha <laughs> Yeah, we're depends on how you look at it, right? <laughs> we're a day late in the dollar short. Um, um, uh, on the Studio C41 podcast, and I can't remember the name of the lady who was being interviewed, but it was a really interesting uh, interview 
with a um, Russian photographer who does um, quite a lot of work shooting four by five. And um, was it Lisa? Was it who? Sorry, Lisa. Uh, you're going to need to give me more of a name than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's say you. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, anyway, <laughs> probably. I know she lives in Florence. I remember that. I know she has blue hair. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's her. Yeah. Good. Great. We're on. <laughs> we got there in the end. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And she's obviously done some um, videos. And the question was asked, what, what would you recommend for people who wanted to get into 4x5? And her response was like, uh, just kind of prepare yourself for it. Um, because it's hard you know, it's, but to my mind in some ways the fact of um, affordable cameras coming up it feels like 4x5 is more accessible now than it has ever been before um, and it doesn't have to be that expensive either you can i mean i bought a pack of fomapan film for 40 quid with 100 sheets you can mess up a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah that. i just look analog wonderland has 50 sheets of foma pam four by five on for 35 pounds i mean the amount of enjoyment you can get out of that box for 35 pounds that's an unbelievably good deal yeah and also the thing that that is a real i mean yes there are a lot of things that can go wrong <laughs> because because there's just and more steps <laughs> yes and definitely will. but the great thing is you're shooting one frame and you can go and check that one frame straight away. It's not like a roll of 35mm where you might have 36 exposures. <laughs> you can spend, in my case, multiple months waiting to find out if you buggered up the first one. Um, <laughs> you can just try and see. Um, and so it, it does seem like it's you know, a perfect time to dive in. And, and also, I think because um, the attitude of a lot of... Um, Photographers, particularly the photographers that were into analog photography, uh, are much more varied now. It's not, or certainly not for everybody. Uh, it's not about creating that perfect image. It's about expressing yourself and getting what the vibe you want from it. So, as you were saying, Lisa um, on the Studio C forty one, she was talking about how her pictures. She really is looking for absolute perfection. Um, yeah. She wants no grain. She wants it look, to look amazing and perfect and sharp and as good as it can be. But then we've spoken in the past to Isabel Curtis, who is looking for a completely different style of image, and she's using yeah. the controls that the camera has to just throw huge swaths of it out of out of um, focus and create very evocative images. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a real playground now. Um, what for somebody who has been shooting 35 millimeter and maybe medium format um what would you say about people who who want to think about getting into four by five who maybe haven't tried it yet i would say if you're it's not for everyone i won't try and market it as if it is but if you're the type of person who enjoys the the thinking about the image the slowing down the more meditative approach to photography if you enjoy going on a hike or if you enjoy the creative process associated with it the ability to be able to make big prints to alternative process develop your own film if you enjoy the whole ecosystem and you're not looking to just sort of go out and shoot a roll of 35 quickly doing some street photography you enjoy more the slow down side of it then it's absolutely 
for you and you will in the same way that you love 35 mil and you love medium format you'll love large format as well it's an incredibly rewarding and fun way to shoot film basically yeah and, and the nice thing is now that the costs have come down so much that yes. it is possible to dip your toe in it um yeah so you could get an affordable camera you could get a cheap second-hand fidelity film holder a box of Harman direct positive paper and then some trays and some cheap developer stop and fix and you could be making one-off amazing prints in your bathroom and you've spent like 300 pounds i'm assuming we're talking about maybe using the pinhole lens board exactly. with that yeah yeah because i saw but that obviously again, you have the option don't you as well yeah. which is great mm -hmm. then again with lenses it's it's interesting lenses for large format cameras have been in production for around 100 years mm -hmm. there is no shortage of secondhand lenses and when you compare the quality of the glass and the fact you get it combined with a shutter with what you'd pay for a modern 35 millimeter uh, lens it's an absolute steal it's a ridiculously good deal when you think about what you're actually getting you're getting like an incredibly high-end optic and a shutter for mm. sort of you know 200 300 pounds and it sold maybe 10 15 years ago for a thousand pounds yeah mm -hmm. that is it's relative to what you can achieve with the camera they're not expensive can i ask where you tend to find most of your lenses so, you know or where you would recommend for people to to be starting to look for them is it is it ebay is it you know online stores that kind of thing yeah definitely online um mm -hmm. yeah, ebay is with a lot of large format stuff ebay is is good and mm -hmm. there's a few things to look out for and i'd say anyone who's thinking of buying a large remote camera, it doesn't have to be one of ours. If they want to just drop us an email with a link to a lens and they're not sure about, we're always happy to give it the once over because there is a few things to look out for. But the main things, you see, if it's got no haze, no fungus, sort of in reasonable condition, um, then you're good to go. An interesting one about shutters, and this isn't universal because large remote lenses come mounted in shutters. Mm -hmm. um, the ring you twist to change the uh, shutter speed on older shutters, that tended to be silver. On more mm -hmm. modern ones, it tended to be black. So if you can find one that has the black ring, it's more likely that the um, shutter times will be more accurate and that the lens in it will be a more modern, multi-coated lens. So that's quite a good, easy way to spot a decent lens. Um, KEH in the US is good. They ship to the UK. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few small shops around the UK that has stuff like Ford's, Mr. Cad's, there's clock tower cameras down here in Brighton. That's very good. Um, yeah, there's plenty of them out there. Yeah, actually, the lenses was something that I also wanted to ask because it is one of those things. And um, when you have your cameras on you know, for sale, and when you had it on Kickstarter, and the same with everybody else that's followed, it's like, here you go, get into four by five. It's super easy. This is a foot. Well, it's not super easy, but you know, actually, it's not. It's not hard. I mean, none of this is rocket science. It really. If I can be doing four by five photography, albeit badly, it clearly is not <laughs> difficult. All you need to do is just remember the steps. Like, put this in, pull out. Any idiot can do it because this idiot is doing it. Um, <laughs> but um, we, you are the benchmark by which we all hope to yeah, exactly. achieve better. I am the lowest of low watermarks. It's no exaggeration. If I can do it, you definitely can, listeners. You definitely can. And Very should. good. Um, but the lenses are the bit which, to me, at the moment, is like, ah, because 
it's all very well saying, yeah, they're out there, there's loads of them, and you can get them with shutters, and they're available. But it's like, actually, it's it's quite a confusing thing. It's like, okay. Oh, totally, yeah. All no, it the is. Different shutters and the different lenses and different lens boards. It's because you've got and... lens boards as well and different sizes that you yeah. potentially yeah. would need to specify, or oh, I need a lens board with this size hole cut in it, which often, you know, as the, uh, the original, you know, as a starter, um, somebody just starting out in that it can be that's the, where the confusion can yeah. lay. I, think. I mean, I can do it. Like I could do sort of a, a brief beginners what to Google. Thanks, Max. Yeah. That would be amazing. Sure. Okay. So you find yourself on a computer and you want to buy a large format lens. You're in a great position already because you're already excited. <laughs> Woo! What you want to look for? Have you written this down as a script? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm reading off my hand right now. Excellent. <laughs> what you want to look for? is for one of our cameras and i think for the majority of the affordable ones that have come out they use a type of lens board called a linhof technica board linhof technica was a range a very popular range of cameras and their lens board became one of the, the standards for four by five cameras it's a small lens board it's simple to reproduce there's a lot of copies of it coming out of china they're dirt cheap to buy and a lot of lenses already come mounted in them so you can kind of forget about the lens board because chances are your lens will come mounted in one or if it doesn't it's very easy to get one and mount it in it and then you bring up the point rachel of the holes in the middle of the lens boards you've got three types of holes that are most common there's a couple of more but you don't really need to worry about them you've got zero one and three for four by five, you're mostly looking at zero and one, and this refers not so much to the size of the lens, but the size of the shutter the lens is in. And the shutter on the side of it will have the size of the hole it requires written on it. The main brands of shutter are Copal and Compor. So if you have a Copal zero shutter, it needs to go in a lens board with a zero size hole. Copal one size shutter, it needs to go in a lens board with a one size hole. So that's fairly simple to work out. And then the lenses screw into the shutter and the lenses tend to always come mounted in a shutter. You very rarely see lens elements on their own without a shutter with them. And um, so, yes, yeah, so you basically need to look out for a lens mounted in a shutter. If it's in the right board, great. If it's not, it's very easy to swap over. There's just a threaded ring on the back that you just screw, unscrew and then screw back in. A lot of people think they need a lens wrench to do that. It's just like a special tool. You can do it with a pair of calipers. Or you can kind of do it by twisting the lens board and the shutter, even though some people will wince. I've just said that, but you can. It's, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's just fine. It's one of those things that, like, someone on a forum somewhere is screaming. I just said that, but it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry, Max. We've had people tell us about yeah, cameras yeah. in ovens and all sorts of things. <laughs> the easiest way to look for a large format lens on eBay, because if you Googled Fuji 150mm f5.6, you're going to get like an array of lenses that aren't large format lenses. At the end of your search on eBay, just add the word Copal or Compal. So you're also specifying the shutter it's in. And only large format lenses would be in those shutters. So then it only brings up large format lenses, which saves you a lot of time wading through um, lenses that aren't appropriate. Got you. It's a great tip, that. <laughs> and can, oh. <laughs> you, can, can you also just, again, for the idiots in the room, uh, oh, no. um, could you just talk <laughs> us through the focal lengths and their sort of 35 mil equivalences because that's another thing which because it, it's, 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 it's a bit confusing there's lots of numbers and i'm bad at math so it's kind of easy so you times the 35 millimeter lens will take a classic 50 mil for example on 35 millimeter film you times that by three 
and that will give you the equivalent on 4x5. So a 50mm lens on 35mm film is 150mm on 4x5. It's not precise, but it's good enough. Yeah. And then you times the uh, 4x5 equivalent by 2 to get it up to 8x10. So a 50mm lens on 35mm is 150mm on 4x5 and 300mm on 8x10. So you times by 3, then times by 2. And that's Got it. You. That seems pretty sure. And one other thing I learned from, um, well, most recently, I was reminded by looking at uh, your uh, flax, um, is <laughs> that wide angle lenses ha- have other considerations that need to be taken into account if you're going with very wide angle lenses. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. So, 4x5, sorry, email noise keeps going on. So, all these orders coming in at the same time, Max. It's great. It's live. <laughs> it's live orders. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, so, on. Large format cameras, you have uh, bellows, which is sort of a movable, light-proof, folded fabric. And um, as you use a wider angle lens, the focal length on that uh, lens is shorter. So that simply means it needs to be closer to the film to be focused. So if you can imagine the bellows compressing as you pull that lens closer to the film. Now, when the bellows are compressed, they get stiffer, which means you lose the ability to use movements um, sort of rise and fall. You can't wiggle the lens about because the bellows have become stiff um so that's something to take into consideration uh, you can solve this problem by popping it on a lens board which holds the lens further backwards mm-hmm. so that you can put the bellows more forwards to get it into the equivalent position if that yeah. makes sense and then that loosens the bellows up a little bit so they're called recessed lens boards and they're great if you're going to use a wide angle lens Cool. That was a very good and helpful uh, lens how-to there. Although I That's still good. kind of wish that somebody would just go, uh, "Hi, where the uh, large format lens shop for all your large format yeah, lens needs?" That would be that would be great. Oh, so I think maybe you should take that on. Close to pretty close to that. They're very good at large format lenses. I mean, what was that? Sorry, I, mi- I missed that. Sorry. K e h dot com. They're in the US, but they do ship to the UK. Yeah. I mean, just uh, this is as a very ballpark figure, Max. But for somebody like myself who's thinking, okay, mm-hmm. I want to pick up a cheap camera um, because I'm fed up killing myself carrying Ronald around um, and having my <laughs> shoulder ripped off at the socket. Um, uh, how much could I, you know, if, if I just want to get a, a reasonable, doesn't have to be the best, just a perfectly serviceable standard lens, yep. what kind of cost would I be looking for if I went to somewhere like KEH? What's a ballpark figure? So you can get a very reasonable lens for between 100 and 120 pounds. Okay. On eBay, you might be able to go on less. I just bought three lenses from a shop in the um, UK for they were 80 pounds each, 130 millimeter lenses. Really? Uh, not top range, not low range, just some, some Roden stock lenses. Oh, that's another interesting point. Um, there's four big manufacturers of large format lenses that you should normally stick to and that's fuji nikon rodenstock and schneider so they're the ones to look out for any of their modern lenses are incredible there's other manufacturers but they're four very reliable and trusted lens manufacturers that's very cool you've obviously got a blog no i'm saying obviously obviously got everyone's got a blog these course, days. Obviously. Obviously. How <laughs> have you um have you got posts about this stuff on your blog no but we just <laughs> Um, it's it's just it. on your hand. If you Graham, want to know about lenses, you simply this, have this to ask me. Our exclusive, isn't it? You see. <laughs> so I've been. Intrepid has grown faster than anyone, including everyone in the workshop, has been able to keep up with, which is fantastic. 
but it means we're constantly playing catch up. And that the negative of that is that stuff like we're talking about now, the how to's, they're always on the back burner. But we have recently gone through a phase of um, um, hiring people and um, Naomi, who I think you both have chatted to, yeah. uh, has come in and she's generating all this how-to content and it's looking fantastic. And we will be very, very soon will be much more the whole package rather than uh, just a camera manufacturer will also be a repository of information which i'm very much looking forward to i think that should be exciting that's awesome um that leads me on because it's, uh, it's been great talking about lenses but i do want to get back to what you're up to there in intrepid so as you said you are you've been completely caught out in some ways by the success of the business um to the point where you are actually recording now sat in your is it what would you call it, factory warehouse laboratory uh what's it, what's the technical term we're using here We've got a well. We've got yeah. We've got a, a thousand. We've got a warehouse, I'd say, and then we've got um, a few sections of it. I can talk you through it. We've got the uh, the CNC room, which is where all the cameras are cut on the machines. That's a big soundproof room, which is lovely because we used to have to hear the machines all day, and they're really loud. And then we've got the assembly area. We've got a post and packaging section, and then a woodwork area, which is sealed off to avoid the dust going on everything. And then we've got a small. Um, small room called the miscellaneous research department which is named after um edwin land's research oh, department of Polaroid, very cool uh, which is, is cool yeah and um out of that uh, miscellaneous research department there are many many exciting projects coming well, along see that uh, conveniently enough max that leads us on perfectly because whilst <laughs> i Understanding you on your website at the moment, it's saying that the lead time, if somebody orders a camera today, it's going to take mm-hmm. about eight weeks because you know that's how busy you are at the moment to get it built and out to them. I mean, is how long does it take to actually build one of your cameras? So it takes around four weeks to build a four by five, and it takes about six weeks to build an eight by ten. Um, so yes uh so if you're ordering one which i mean everybody should be everybody should have i, I do think everybody should have a four by five camera you know if you if finances stretch that far because they are they might not be the thing you want to use all the time but you get such a different experience from going oh. out with one it's, it's it is zen, it's the it's zen incredible. photography thing isn't it max it is it's the perfect escape from our Modern busy lives. <laughs> yes. But anyway, your modern busy life. Now, you are a youngish man. We like youngish men on this podcast, don't we, Rick? You are a youngish man. Actually, you're probably still God, technically... God, that makes you sound awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, um, you're, you're technically still a, a young man. And um, as you said, you were studying, um, was it product design you were studying at, at university? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you're clearly somebody who's very interested in this. And, and I remember when we chatted to... Um, Gary at Mint Cameras. The thing yeah. that people who like to be creative and make stuff is they're not very good at just stopping with things. They like <laughs> you. You you are problem solvers, and um, and I cannot imagine that just like oh well, we've got the Mark Three. That's the way we want it now. We've got our eight by ten. Um, let's just carry on doing this for the next twenty years. I do not think for one second that that is likely. So, what are you guys working on at the moment? Uh, what are we working on? Um, we've the main thing. I mean, you're right. We don't ever stop designing. I think that's what went wrong with the large format manufacturing world is it stagnated and yeah. prices went up as uh, knowledge and materials and labor disappeared and prices went up and uh, development disappeared. 
but that's a whole other topic. But what we've got, um, what we've got coming up, the main thing, and it's incredibly exciting, and I've been playing with it constantly for the last sort of year, is we're uh, we're building an enlarger. Yeah. Not- exactly. <laughs> I think Rachel they're just not- fainted. <laughs> but not, not just any enlarger. Um, so you've got your negative, you've developed it at home, you've sent it off to be developed, you've got your negative back, and 99% of people will then digitally scan it in and share it. And that's fantastic. You've got that negative saved on your computer, and if you want to look at it, you can look at it on your screen. That's great. But printing is one of the greatest the second greatest joy is, or maybe if you're into it more, the greatest joy of analog photography is being able to make a one-off, incredibly detailed, completely custom, will never exist again print from your negative. So we've been thinking, how can we get people into printing without having them to buy massive enlargers and all the equipment and spend hundreds of pounds? Again, it's about that accessibility, that mm-hmm. making it easy, making it compact, making it affordable. So what we've done is something that hasn't existed since 1951, and it's a uh, negative holder and light source and timer attachment for the back of a 4x5 camera that converts your camera into an enlarger. And it's quality. You can use it with a tripod or a copy stand or an old enlarger stand. It all fits on. Oh, wow. Super easy to use. It, everything you need to make a print fits in like a large Tupperware box that you can just keep under the sink. You've got a dark room in a box and you just pop it out and you can make these amazing massive prints up to 20 by 24 or bigger. It's incredibly versatile. We've been working on it quietly for about two years now and it's um, it's all come to uh, come to a head. We filmed the video for a Kickstarter launch and we'll be launching um, fairly soon. Oh, oh wow. my God, Max, this is so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yay! I, I vaguely recall, because you, you must have put some of the stuff out about it. it we've been, vaguely... we've leaking little bits here and there yeah. to, to people who have been paying attention. But not, yeah, it's been... Um, <laughs> not me, clearly. Like, <laughs> no, as in like the people who like follow everything we do have been sort of like, oh, hang on, are you doing are you doing that? So that's been crazy. The coolest thing about it is not only can you enlarge um, 4x5 film, you can also enlarge 120 and 35mm film. That which sounds fantastic. So, so not only can you, um, yeah, so it's not just within the 4x5 ecosystem. If you're also shooting 35 and 120, you can use your 4x5 camera, any 4x5 camera, by the way, not just Intrepids. I, um, I, I bet I couldn't use Ronald. I'll put money on the fact that, <laughs> that there is nothing built that will take the weight of Ronald. <laughs> <laughs> Max, can you just run us through how, how it'll work again? Sorry, yeah. just so we're um, clear on, on it. So an enlarger is essentially a light source, mm-hmm. something to hold your negative yep. so the light can shine through it, and then um, that light's then focused by lens and projected onto a bit of light sensitive paper that you'd use in the darkroom. Yeah. So if you can imagine a four by five camera is the lens held on a adjustable body already like a normal enlarger. And then if you mm-hmm. add on the back of that, something that um, holds a negative and a light source, then you and point it down instead of horizontally, you've essentially mm-hmm. got yourself an enlarger. So that's how it works. We've come up with um, a unique light source that's never been used on an enlarger before. But, um, it's compact. It doesn't get hot. It's cheap to produce. It's, um, it's ideal, really, for what we're for the purpose. We've got a timer, so you can control it. Um, so you can dial in your times and your settings. It works with Ilford multi-grade filters. We've been chatting to Ilford about it. Fantastic. It's yeah. all, um, 
yeah, so it's very similar to people who are used to printing with enlargers, and it's super easy to use for people who haven't used one before. So it's, That's it's great. Fantastic. I mean, especially because I mean, a four by five enlarger itself is like not a cheap thing. I mean, I have an enlarger that will do up to six by six, but yeah. Um, mm. It yeah, takes same. up quite a lot of space. Which exactly. It's a huge issue. Who's got room in their small British cubby hole of a bathroom for a 4 by 5 enlarger? Like, no one. But yeah. yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. So do you have a timescale for when the Kickstarter is likely to be dropping? I do. Mm-hmm. So God. we are... We're technically, we're ready to go. But we're working with a very very cool um, partner on this we've got Ilford involved and there's another group of people who are going to get involved and we're just waiting for those guys to um, to get ready and then we will be we'll be off so it's probably going to be early September at this rate I would say or just we might just sneak it in late August we'll see that's fantastic I am very excited to see that um, and uh, do, you, do you have a newsletter that people can sign up to to make sure they keep on top of this do, yeah if you go on our Instagram profile or the Facebook page or at the bottom of our website which is intrepidcamera.co.uk there's a, um, a box that you can pop your email address in and sign up to our newsletter and then you will be the first to know if you do sign up to our newsletter on this launching Max, can I ask, um, you may obviously not yet know this because, as you said, you're still working with other people and in discussion and what have you. Um, do you have a, an idea of, like, reward level kind of, like, costs and things at this point or, or not? Yeah, we've got some of Vega. We're trying to keep just the enlarger attachment. So mm-hmm. literally every, the, the minimum you'll need to make a print at home, we're trying to keep that sub £100, which I think is great. Yeah. So if, um, you've, if you've already got the camera. I confirm we'll be able to stick to that. People, yeah. you know. I don't want to do an ectochrome, but we I think we can stick to that, hopefully. <laughs> don't want to do an ectochrome. That's harsh. And also, there are, there are a lot better examples just of terrible Kickstarter. I just listened to your podcast with Andy, and he seemed like a really nice guy. I feel bad about that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're never working with Kodak, that's for sure. Damn it. They won't reply to my emails. <laughs> no, Andy's a lovely chap, I'm sure he'd And it, it seemed very, very nice, which was great. Um, that sounds... That sounds fantastic. Uh, and will there be within that? Are you planning to have some? Okay, if you if you don't have a camera already, like packages where people will be able to get. Yeah, an yeah. Definitely. So the, the the levels we're looking at is sort of the enlarger attachment, the enlarger attachment plus the timer, which makes it a lot mm. lot easier to use, particularly if you want to um, refine your print each time you make one. Um, a timer is almost essential, mm. and then we'll have sort of enlarger attachment and timer and also the holders so you can use 35 mil and then also the holders so you can use 120 so you know six by six holders six by seven six by nine etc and then we'll also be looking at um the whole kit plus a four by five camera and then we're trying to work with some suppliers to get um kits against you getting some developers some paper some trays and um everything you need basically to get going and the great thing about it is you don't need to buy a separate enlarger lens, which can be expensive. You can just use the lens you use to shop the picture with, um, which is cool. That's fantastic. So you don't need to just use your large format lens already. Or if you want to use an enlarger lens, that's fine. We're making some um, 3D printed mounts so you can oh, pop those lenses. Yeah. Um, most people, I think, will just use their large format lenses. So again, you don't have to spend money on new glass, which everyone is always very happy about. This is awesome. Um, uh, that's really exciting because, uh, as I said, 4x5 enlargers are not cheap anyway. I oh. think more and more of us are 
making the jump into having a go at doing darkroom stuff. And the problem is always having space to do any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the idea of a solution which is convenient and can work with what I've got, for one thing, it makes it far easier for me to try and convince Sinead that um, I definitely need one. <laughs> Look, if I get this, I can get rid of this big thing. In the end, you're winning. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that's really really cool and um, yeah didn't know about that and uh, very excited um whilst we're on the subject of r&d we mentioned at the beginning of the show that uh four by five cameras and and well at the moment i think you're the only person or only people i know who are making affordable eight by ten cameras which is very awesome but but large format in general is incredibly unusual in that they are the only new cameras really that are yeah. new ones coming out. We know, we, we know, yes, Leica and Lomography are doing their two ends of the scale on 35mm, but that's yeah, kind yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, now, do you, your name is Intrepid, which gives uh, a sort of a very adventurous kind of thing. So um, when are you going to sort out some of the other deficits in the photography world? Uh, because we could really do with, I don't know, a medium format camera. Could you, I don't know, sort that out, please? <laughs> Have you looked it at it? So the reason that there is um, a lot of large format cameras coming out and not medium format is um, that large format cameras don't have the shutter mechanism built in. And yeah. that's it's as simple as that, really. Yeah. Um, you need two different factories for building cameras and for building shutters there. Well, I mean, you know, modern cameras do it all in one, but it's two very different setups. I couldn't even begin to imagine how we would come close to building anything like a shutter here yeah. and that's the reason why large format manufacturers are popping up all over the places because people are realizing oh i don't need to bother the shutters the people will bring their own yeah so, so <laughs> what i'm hearing is that you are realizing that actually with all of these new people coming you probably need to start actually thinking about how one does you've already got one factory Max, you've yeah. already got one. You only need another one. You're you only need a sister there. factory. I would love another factory. That'd be wonderful. It's like bring your own booze, but bring your own lens, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so if you can provide the the booze, <laughs> perfect. I think um, on the subject of shutters, I think there will be a a big. I think there'll be a big leap in large format shutters when people start messing around with. Um, Arduinos and things like that controlling uh, yeah. leaf shutters instead of um, oh, I've forgotten the other one. Kern. Anyway, Kern shutters, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Right. <laughs> um, I think that will be um, a big jump forwards when people sort of switch to electronically controlled shutters rather than mechanical shutters. And I'll be interested to see where that goes, but I reckon there might be some jumps forward in that. Have you spoken to at all the, um, the chaps over at Reflex about what they're doing? I haven't, no. Well, there you go. Maybe you need to, you know, this this is the way. I mean, you're both good British companies. And uh, look, Max, I, to be honest, I just don't want any more excuses about it's a bit hard. <laughs> it says intrepid right I'm on the so, box. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, fine. I will. I mean, it, I'm still in the workshop at half nine, but I will not. I'll stay a bit later and I'll get a medium <laughs> camera. <laughs> <laughs> they're clearly just not doing it a father graham it's uh, you know yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. it's just bone idols. not like they've just given this given us this huge new announcement or anything no a treat no. for you but no. <laughs> i know <laughs> i am very happy about this man. yeah it sounds awesome well look, um we're going to take a very quick break now and when we come back um we're going to talk about a couple of uh 
uh, sort of Apple hinted at um, other 4x5 cameras that are on Kickstarter at the moment. We'll have a quick look at those and what's going on and get Max's expert opinion, well, not opinion, expert feedback on them. I'm sure Max would say they're all lovely. Um, uh, and, and one of them is so, so cool. I just love the way it looks so much. Um, uh, but we will be right back in just a second. And we're back. And as promised before the break, we are going to talk about a couple of other 4x5 offerings which are on Kickstarter even as we speak. Um, two quite different cameras while still being 4x5, which is what the beauty of this format is. It can take so many different shapes. Uh, the first one is the standard 4x5. Um, this one is quite unusual because to the best of my knowledge, and Max, I'm sure you've got a far more accurate view on this than I have, I think this is the first of the monorail um, Kickstarter 4x5s that I've seen. Uh, is that right? Have you seen a Kickstarter for a, a monorail 4x5 before, Max? It is, yeah, it definitely seems to be the first monorail. And I think, I think monorails are traditionally very affordable already. So it was, um, I think what this camera's unique entry point is that it's sort of a, a, a build-your-own kit, which is something that I haven't seen also. So it's the first monorail, and it also seems to be the first uh, kit, build-your-own camera on Kickstarter, although there is the Bulldog kit as well. Um, yeah, so it's got some unique, um, some unique properties. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, as you're saying, monorail cameras traditionally are the more affordable. That's why I have a monorail camera because it cost me under two hundred pounds to pick up Ronald, uh, who weighs about two hundred pounds. Um, <laughs> the big difference with the, <laughs> the standard is that um, the standard is a three D printed camera. Uh, all the yeah. parts are three D printed, so it's going to be much, much lighter weight, which is. Uh, very appealing um so can you uh, max you have a, a far better insight into this because both the standard four by five and the next camera we're going to talk about are 3d printed cameras can you talk to us a bit about what this this revelation because i'm sure you have looked into it with your you know with your degree and everything like that where are we at with the four by five world and um, the sort of the 3d printed rather world so we are we're in a good place with 3D printing. I think um, I don't you probably can't hear it behind me, but sitting just behind me, there are four 3D printers running as we speak. Oh yeah, and we have. I wonder. I thought you might have ghosts in the background, but if listeners have heard <laughs> yeah. that throughout, yeah. that's what that is. That's what that is. Ah, uh, now we know what it is. Sorry, Excellent. Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we. Um, yes, yeah, so we use a lot of 3D printed components. So we tend to use them for components that are either hidden and they need to be low friction or won't be exposed to too much water or heat. That is the, depending on the material you use, that is sort of the fall down with um, 3D printing is sort of the quality of the finish, the robustness of it, its resistance to heat, its resistance to water. But again, it depends what material you use. Um, they're fantastic. I think we're at a stage where you can legitimately print an entire camera from um using a 3D printer, and particularly on the standard camera, they seem to be going down an open source route, which I admire incredibly because you're essentially saying, I've put in all this effort to design this camera and here it is to the world for free, which is um, a very um, generous move of them to do. So I really hope that they um, are able to stick to that and it doesn't um, negatively impact their sort of their business. So I, I wish them sort of the best of luck with their, with their camera on that um, and the way they uh, seem to be quite literally just doing it for the community. 
yeah i think it's fantastic i mean obviously as you i mean i, I don't know exactly about what um the they're making open source um which if they are that's fantastic but equally i think it's a fairly sound move because the reality is that most of us don't have any sort of access whatsoever to the kind of 3d printing yeah, there um, is that <laughs> that's needed so it's you know it's it's, well, it's uh, not quick either that's the thing you know because you can uh, well it is to a certain extent but but you can still end up taking hours and hours you know to actually print something yeah. so people are like oh 3d print it's super easy but actually the time taken can can outweigh the cost you yeah. know can <laughs> really hit and miss as well particularly with new parts so mm-hmm. i don't think we've ever had a new setup on a 3d printer for a new part that's just you've just smashed out a load of parts first run yeah. and they're all good yeah. to go i don't think that's ever happened so yeah it can be quite hit and miss and and also just from a convenience point of view, I know I don't think we talked about it, but I certainly heard somebody talking about it. Um, uh, Dora Goodman, who is uh, who is actually um, you know doing the hard work of trying to make a medium format camera uh, yeah. Max, although she is also using <laughs> um, lenses with built-in shutter, so a bit cheap. But she recently released um, her camera, uh, which I think is called the Goodman one or something like that. If you look yeah. look up Dora Goodman, um, she's a oh know, no, I know I'm well aware of Dora. She yeah. makes beautiful, beautiful cameras. She does absolutely, um, and. And she has released the um, schematics or whatever the term is for the camera. She's made it, which is a 3D printed body for a medium format camera. It looks fantastic. It's a really cool looking thing. But again, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I kind of think, well, I wish you could just kickstart that. Could you just kickstart that, please? Um, but, uh, but anyway, the, the standard. So whilst you will be able to um, get the schematics by the sound to it, you can also kickstart it. Um, and you can get it either as a kit, so you get all the pieces and put it together. Um, it says this kit is great for the DIY who isn't afraid of Legos or IKEA furniture. So that could be quite good fun. Um, or you can just pay a little bit more. <laughs> or is the, the scaredy cat kit? As there's well. a scaredy cat kit. There's the um, I don't want something that I've built <laughs> because it's probably a piece of stuff. <laughs> I struggled to put together, and in fairness, I don't think this is entirely on me, the Lomo constructor. Now, I'm fairly certain. <laughs> actually, I'm going to say I'm 100% certain that the standard 4x5 has probably got far better build quality than the Lomo constructor, which is a steaming pile of garbage plastic. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's very cool. Um, and because it's a monorail, you've got that full range of movement um which you don't get with the field cameras it, it goes up and down and backwards and forwards etc etc but you do have uh, a lighter weight body i don't think it has rear movements oh actually yes you're right it, it doesn't seem to have um rise and fall. i think that's how they're keeping it simple just, you, it just yes it's got, just got the movements of a field camera but it's sort of the simplicity of the build of a monorail got i you. think it's their sort of ups that's how they're keeping it cheap i think yes that is their ups <laughs> Wow, they're ups. Thank you for that. USP. UPS is <laughs> That post-stitching service, yes. <laughs> we ship with UPS. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's very cool. The other one, uh, and um, Ethan, who is put, put this camera together, um, got in touch last week, said, oh, could you have a look at this and maybe mention it, uh, is the quite adorable camera dactyl. Um, this camera needs to be seen to be believed <laughs> it is a uh, another 3d printed camera it is a field camera and it, <laughs> it's just it's a bag of wolves pick a mix isn't it it's it's just, i love i love it yeah the, the color schemes because one of the great advantages with 3d printing is that the, you, know, you can make the stuff any color you want to so he's got some fantastic pictures they just look like they look they look very much like toys like really like 
toys, but they are proper, fully functioning um, 4x5 field camera. Um, and, um, you know, they're going to be lightweight. They're, they're 3D printed. So, again, as with all of these things, as with, with any entry-level camera of any sort, you need to go in knowing what you're getting. And this is not going to be the toughest, most robust thing ever. Um, but equally... Um, this is, I, th I think I'm right in saying, this is probably the cheapest way at all, full stop, you can get into 4x5. You know, these are... These are how, much, how much are they? I haven't actually... They are, I will tell you... I think it's you, 150 maybe? Uh, £172. Um, That's, that is good. I mean, that shows you... I mean, when we launched our... The first one we launched, the early birds were £99. So the, I think the demand has even pushed up the price of it. They're sort of the £99. Yeah. Oh my good god. Four by five for ninety nine pounds. <laughs> That's very cheap. Well, there's, there you go. So yes, not quite as cheap as that, unfortunately. Um, no, no, this was a few years ago. So it was know. a few years because you're you're getting old now, Max. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do do check out the camera dactyl because they just the, the it's you can't really we cannot convey through mere meaningless words. <laughs> what a delight the color schemes are you know i'm looking at one here with a, a baby blue body with um pink <laughs> buttons and yellow accents and um and you know and, and also the, got... bellows the bellows are the best yeah and um, what i love is that the um with the uh wheels to adjust sort of the um focusing distance basically they, they all look a bit like toy trains as well <laughs> which is also <laughs> great um but um both of those cameras, both the standard and the camera dactyl, have already exceeded their Kickstarter um, targets, so they will both be happening. And um, yeah, just other fun options um, out there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fun field. What I like is that there is enough options. There. I mean, I, I look, particularly like with the camera dactyl, I look at that and go, well. If your kind of thing is, oh, well, I like Holgers and I like Dianas and I like kind of mucking around with real toy plastic cameras and stuff like that, like, oh, this is the this is the four by five camera for you, you know, crack on and, and use this because you're going to like the way it looks and, and have a feel. But at the same time, hopefully, you know, get something that's works well and you know it might not last you a lifetime because it's not the most durable material in the world, but um, it should be fun, you know. And I don't think it's probably going to be quite as um, weatherproof as. <laughs> as an intrepid camera is because you've got your um bellows and everything are um weatherproofed aren't they to a certain extent Max? And, um, you can casually drop an intrepid camera in a river pull it back up <laughs> and just crack on <laughs> yeah i mean i only ever casually drop anything i speak from experience that you can do that <laughs> actually we were out shooting um when was it, about two weeks ago sam uh, one of the guys who works here building cameras it was his first time shooting 4x5. He'd only just started. And he went down this ramp down the Brighton seafront. A massive wave crashed in over the ramp and absolutely drenched him in the camera. And he just kind of gave a little shake like a dog would and then just cracked off. <laughs> dry. And I've got it in the corner here and it's like just got a white salt crystalline structure all over it. It still works fine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like I said, it's called Intrepid for a reason. So. Yeah, exactly yeah. um no that's fantastic um before we let you go max because you need to get on and we've got other stuff we've got another bumper crop of fantastic emails to get through. before we let you go you wanted to tell us about something else that was going on at the intrepid store I did. um so two sort of big things around the same thing we've we're going to start stocking film in um in two weeks the film will go live we've um to start off with we've sort of handpicked the best of what we think of the best pro 4x5 films are 
We've um, done a lot of um, to and throw with the manufacturers. We've managed to get really good deals on these films, and we'll be selling them for hopefully sort of for the cheapest online. Um, the films we've chosen are uh, Delta 100, a fantastic black and white film, um, HB5, which is a black and white film everyone knows and loves. It's a bit cheaper than Delta 100. We've got Portra. Again, a very popular film in 4x5, and Ektar 100, which is an absolute negative classic. And the one I'm really excited about that hasn't been in the UK or Europe for, for a couple of years now, and it's been incredibly hard to get, so we've managed to get a reliable and affordable source of Velvia 50 in 4x5. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! And to any large format landscape photographer in the UK, that is going to be absolute music to their ears. So we'll get, that turns up on Thursday, a crate of that, and I'm been as i was saying i've been following the tracking like every hour just seeing where it is just watching it on its way to brighton so i'm very excited for that to turn up that is awesome. um, it's it's one yeah. of those things that four by five slide film we had last summer we had nasa on um a photographer here in oxford who shoots a lot of four by five and he was talking about how he used to work in a lab and saw and a professional lab and saw four by five slides and eight by ten slides come through and, and how just amazing they look and i would it's incredible that's but I very much. How I would imagine a, a box of um, Velvet is not the cheapest way of shooting. <laughs> it's not. If I can just have a quick look at the price list for Velvet fifty, I don't know how. What, to put it what size are the boxes? How how many sheets do you, will you be getting in them? Um. So for Porter one sixty, you get ten sheets. Hector one hundred, you get ten sheets. Delta one hundred, you get twenty five sheets. HP five, you get twenty five sheets. And Velvia fifty, you get twenty sheets. So, cost per sheet, Velvia 50 is cheaper than Portra 160. Interesting wow. enough. Exactly. Um, we haven't got a definite price on the Velvia 50 just yet, unfortunately. Yeah. Where, where will people be best to find that then? Directly on your website? Or... Exactly, yeah, yeah. We're going to have okay. a film section on the shop and it'll all be in there. And then if it goes all right, we're going to move into 8 by 10 and increase the range. We're also going to be doing something called um, the Film Club, where every month we'll buy a massive load of one particular, particular stock of film, get it for a real cheap price, and we'll just pass that saving on. We'll just sort of sell it for as close to cost as possible for one stock each month. So people have definitely got a stock of something interesting each month, and they're not having to spend a load of money on it basically we'll just sort of do the admin for you and just make sure everyone's got some film that's and what's the best way of making sure that you're on top of when that's happening is it through your newsletter yeah if you just subscribe to our newsletter or just follow us on any of the Instagram social medias yeah, yeah we'll, be, we'll be shouting about it a lot so yeah i'm sure Excellent. You were saying earlier you've you've taken on Naomi now, who uh, is I hope that means again. It's obviously an increase in um, social media activity from you guys, and um, yeah. the film club sounds super awesome. I because yeah. you've obviously got the figures in front of you. How, how much does it work out at sort of per sheet for something like um, Portrait? So for a reasonable, this Portrait is ridiculously expensive. It's the most expensive four by five film. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I say ridiculous, it's beautiful. So it's not ridiculous, but it's very expensive. So cost per sheet, you're looking at about six pounds a sheet. Yeah, yeah. So, is yeah. that four? That's four by five. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So it's probably not not your first film to try. No, but then is- if you look at like HB five, you're looking at about a pound a sheet. So yeah, which is cheaper than Polaroid film. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And HB five is brilliant. So 
yeah, yeah. HP5 in large format is it, it is beautiful. And as we mentioned earlier, I mean, Fomapan is <laughs> significantly less than that. It's it um, is is yeah. So there's a lot of really good films out there to just get in and just learn on. Um, actually, before we let you go, actually, Max, I just want to ask one thing. Since we talked about the film, <laughs> what? Do you have any recommendations? Because we talked about the lens, we talked about you know, a lot of the other things that could be hurdles. Developing four by five. What's yeah. your recommendation for people? So, you either for color and uh, negative and positive, I would recommend um, popping into your lab, your local lab, having a chat, seeing what they do. Color stream down in Brighton, very good. Um, your local lab you can tell you, my, you live in a very secluded part of the uh, reality down in yeah, Brighton yeah Brighton just just never lost its analogue photography industry I mean De Vere's based down here it's ridiculous anyway um, so yeah local lab for colour negative or positive although using C421 is not the hardest thing in the world and E6 is also fairly easy to get so if you want to develop in tubs if you want to do black and white C421 or E6 I would recommend using the mod Four five holder or one of the, um, I think they're called SP four five tanks mm-hmm. made by Stearman Press in the US. Mm-hmm. They're really good as well. Um, or if for black and white, you can probably if you're careful with it. And again, this is going to be another forum wins. But you just you could just do trade development. And I did that black and white. Also, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, also fine. fine. It's also yeah. absolutely fine. yeah. Um, yeah. So that's but it. yeah, just have to be gentle with it, yeah, and just exactly, yeah, just, try, just don't scratch the emotion and just be yeah. calm and gentle, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I think Stearman Press, because you mentioned those just before, didn't you? Um, I had a, an email from them saying that they're looking at creating the eight, an eight by ten tank yeah. Yeah, as well are. in like a taco sheet kind of exactly. Uh, yeah, I think mm. so. Yeah, Stearman Press one's good because it also you don't have to use as much chemistry because the mod mm. four or five works in a Patterson three reel tub, which I think takes just under a litre. Yeah. The press uses maybe half that. I can't quite remember. Yeah, I think it's about four, 400, 500 mil yeah. or something. So yeah. yeah. You, you've just like halved your cost of your chemistry. If you want to be really cool like me, get yourself a Patterson orbital developer and then it goes round and round and round all by itself <laughs> and uses less uh, developer and you just look cool. <laughs> Yeah. You, so that's what I just happened to have one of those like oh well th- this will do that job so that was very lucky for me I mean yeah the easy the mod 4.5 is probably the easiest one to get your hands on and just get going yeah yeah and it's not too expensive either and although you, most people probably will have to buy the um the three real tanks well to go with it yeah I've got a free box of film with mine I remember when I bought it a few years ago they sent some HP5 with it so you know it's all, it's all good <laughs> <laughs> so that will definitely happen. Yeah, they still film. do that. Probably don't still do that, but yeah, they did once. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Max. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to let you go home and actually leave <laughs> the warehouse in which you are sat I with three D like printers. Leave work now, please. <laughs> um, obviously, in, is intrepidcamera.com dot co uk Yeah, uh, and just intrepid camera on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And we've got a Facebook page and a very, very active Facebook group of users constantly posting results, mods, all sorts of fun things in there. That's very cool. And what about your good self, Max? Is there anywhere people can go to see the rare moments you're able to get out and <laughs> potentially leave an 8x10 camera on a mountain just so they know where to look just in case you've left one there? <laughs> there, there is not. But if anyone finds themselves in the Wadi Rum jez- Desert in Jordan, there may be an 8x10 camera store. <laughs> Everybody um, go no, and have I, a look. I don't have any personal social media, though. Okay, well... Unfortunately. 
never mind. Well, hopefully in the future, Max, you will have more time to get out, do more shooting and get more stuff on there. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take another break after which Rach and I will be back, but Max will be heading home or perhaps more likely to the pub for a well-earned fight. Um, thank you so much, Max. We'll be it's back in a second. Goodbye. Thanks, Max. Bye. And it's us again, although sadly not Max, because as we said, Max had to go and we miss him already because we love Max. Um, He was great. Really, really enjoyed that. It was, uh, yeah, great to hear more about another, another, um, um, large format manufacturer, which is which is awesome. So very exciting stuff. Yes, and genuinely excited about that enlarger as yeah. well. That sounds very cool. Anyway, just us now, Rach. So what have you been up to this week? Yeah, this week um, I've actually been been doing a little bit more in terms of actually shooting processing than I would normally get chance to. So that's been that's been really good, and uh, I have been enjoying that a lot. Uh, I've processed my role of uh, Rirapan, the one two seven film that was donated to me by Andrew Bartram, mm. <laughs> and it, this is the role that I shot on one two seven day, but it was one two seven day in January. <laughs> So it was actually the one where you came up to Liverpool, Graham. I don't know if you remember all that time ago, do. seven months ago, um, and uh, and we went out and had a fo- went on a photo walk around Liverpool, and uh, yeah, that is where <laughs> that is the roll of film that I shot on that day. I finally got round to processing it. Would you believe? Hooray! <laughs> you need to get your favourite picture sent off to JM Golding at one two seven day, um, which I can't remember. Then. <laughs> I will find you you correcting, but because now is the month to send off. I know it was for the last one, but I still think it counts. And I'm sure J.M. Golding would still love to see your favourite picture from that. Do you think it would still count? Absolutely. J.M., I I know you're out there. If it doesn't count, don't tell us. We'll send it anyway. I've got my, (laughs) I haven't developed my, because I I shot a role on the the most recent one to seven day. And I just need to get that developed and get my picture off. Let's see if either of us get our acting gear and get that done before the end of the month. (laughs) Well, because actually the the role I shot, obviously we had the same camera didn't we um as well and um it turned out that there were lots of light leaks and there were for for whatever reason mine wasn't advancing the frame properly so um they're generally half double exposed um but i have one frame at the end which has come out actually as like a full frame so i was like right brilliant i actually have a shot so i know it's all worked <laughs> um it's just uh, a little bit wonky shall we say so i was quite pleased with this last frame and it was a shot of the blue cake chambers in liverpool which is a over 300 year old building which is amazing um um but shot on a 60 plus year old camera and uh yeah it was uh, it was great great fun to uh, to actually get get an image out of that which is really nice Very so. cool. oh, um did you because we were both taking sort of similar pictures at, um at, at certain times and we were both trying to take pictures inside the cathedral mm-hmm. Did, were any of yours other than anything other than just black i you can actually see an archway that is the window Ooh. yeah um but it's it's so tiny like <laughs> it, it's so so tiny in the background because i i tried to do it as a sort of quite dramatic shot of because the Anglican Cathedral in Liverpool, it, it's huge. <laughs> it is a huge building, um, and it, it can be really dramatic. And I thought, oh, well, I'll try and go for a, go for a wide and get it all in. Um, the rest of it's pitch black, 
Um, but you can see the um, a, t- a tiny little um, bit, which is the arched window, the stained glass window. So you can actually see that. It's just very, very small in the frame. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I was aiming for. <laughs> we, we, we did not fire those shutters enough times. 12 to not. 15 times was not enough. Apparently not. Apparently yeah. not. Um, but but yeah, so I was pleased that actually the 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 shots that I took outside did come out. Um, but uh, but like I say, um, most of them unfortunately because of the frame advancing wasn't wasn't quite right. Uh, you can't really see them properly. They're not really usable. Um, but the last one did come out. So uh, yeah, I was I was quite chuffed with that. It looked really nice actually. Awesome. Um, and did yeah. you develop your roll of one two seven in your monobath? I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, I got in touch with Andre, Andre and said, oh, I've, uh, I've had a go at this because um, they've been sent, setting up, you know, a bit more information about the, the um, lesser lesser used film, shall we say. Um, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm not waiting for that. I'll just have a go and see what happens. Um, so after seven months of waiting and not processing it, I decided that I couldn't wait <laughs> an extra like two days uh, to get the information. I thought I'll just chuck it in and see how things come out. And uh, and it did come out. So it was nothing to do with the processing. It was uh, entirely my fault um, and the the camera not working properly, the the reason that I didn't get the, the rest of the shots. Um, but the processing itself worked great. So uh, that was really nice uh, to... To, to be able to say yes this came out as well so i processed that and a roll of foma pan at the same time because they're both um iso 100 um so yeah um and as part of that it's helping me clear my backlog so i've got you know a whole shelf of unidentified roles that have accumulated um over goodness knows how long so uh, so i've just sort of been using them on a bat to get through that um i also uh, refixed and, and rewashed those first negatives that I set that I sent through it because if you remember I actually done the um, uh, agitation by using the stick rather than inversions and then found out that actually they they suggest or they recommend um, doing it as inverting the tank so um, so I just refixed and rewashed those and they look great now so no problem at all uh, it's all cleared out properly and uh, yeah so it's been good. I've been, like I say, I've been quite busy today working in the dark room and doing a bit more experimenting and working on something new. What? Which is exciting. No, it's secret. It's a listen, secret. Rach, from- listen, we give <laughs> we give the guests on this show a hard enough time for coming on with this secret nonsense. Is this <laughs> is, is this a secret that you're going to be uh following up on your um analogue adventurer kit? Yeah. That's as that's as close as I'm gonna say. That that's gonna be kind of my next step uh expanding my analog adventures kit so uh, yeah exciting stuff experimenting trying stuff out i i, I can't say any more now because i don't know if it's going to work no. <laughs> it's the main problem just, unfortunately just... i don't have a big r&d department it is just me <laughs> yeah just email me so... listeners and i'll forward on the pictures that rachel posts on our private group it'll be fine I'll you. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, no don't you dare your eyes only i won't oh, and aid actually secrets. you can't trust yeah if anything gets out it's aid's fault definitely okay. Blame aid for the leak. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's that's been cool. And other things that have happened to me this week. I have had two camera donations. Ooh. What did you get given? And why so, haven't I been given anything? I, uh, well, actually, what, one of these donations I've had for about twelve months, but haven't. I hadn't actually got the battery for it. Um, and then I realised that one of the batteries that I bought for my Lomo Square camera that didn't fit in my Lomo Square camera because I got the wrong batteries fit in this camera. Hooray! Yay! 
so uh, so it was it was okay in the end. Um, so I uh, popped a new battery in. It's a little um, Nikon point and shoot. It's a Nikon Light Touch Zoom One Twenty ED mm-hmm. AF autofocus, and it's in champagne color, which oh, is nice. very nice. It's I know. Classy. Um, it's for some weird reason, well, yeah, all the different outfits. Um, for some very strange reason, the film counter on it seems to go up by two each time so i don't know why I'm it's sure doing that fine. um it's currently showing as i'm on frame 33 so it was doing it, it was sort of like it was shot shot one shot three shot five i was like hmm okay fair enough maybe it's i don't know just the way it weirdly counts um and then it went um i think i got to like 17 and then it went 18 and then it went 19 and then it went 21 and i thought <laughs> oh <laughs> So who knows what's going to come out of that. But um, I'm currently on shot 33. So uh, nearly at the end. I've got hopefully maybe, well, we'll see <laughs> a couple more shots. We'll see. Um, so, yeah. So I've got that. That was, a, like I say, a donation from about 12 months ago that I finally managed to get out and uh, shoot with. And the other one was a Minolta 16, which I thought took like 110 film because it's, uh, you know, like the very small flat 110 cameras mm-hmm. um that you that you get and you kind of you sort of slide it out uh and i thought oh perfect but it felt it felt quite good quality like it felt like not one of the pieces of plastic you know um actually made of a nice piece of metal and uh, it was quite chunky and i was Ooh. like oh this feels nice you know in the hand. Cool. it does look cool doesn't it and and actually it takes 16 mil so I was like, well, that's great, but I don't have any 16mm um, film. So, uh, yeah, but it looks it looks really sweet, doesn't it? It's um, I think it said it's like a sub-mini camera. Yeah. There's, uh, there's <laughs> quite a, a – um, they have quite a following, the um, sub-mini stuff, don't they? Yeah. The 16mm. I think there are places, or certainly there are places you can look online to get ideas about how to get film into that, because 16mm <laughs> film is still a thing, isn't it, for movie cameras? So. It is for movie cameras. I mean, it, we shot on it for Sunset Rose. Um, so I know it's that's sort of what I was thinking along those lines. I was like, well, you know, if they're still using it for shooting for vi- for film, if you like, for, for movie cameras, then uh, surely it is, it's still around, clearly. Um, but it's just about sourcing it in a <laughs> in a role that will fit in a sub miniature camera rather than in a in a movie camera. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I hope you find them because it looks super cool. Yeah, I, I... It's very cute. And uh, it, yeah, it feels it feels nice. So next time, next time you're in Liverpool, you can have a go with it, Graham. If you uh, bring me some 16 mil film. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad the onus is on me. It says in here, Rachel, you also bought a camera this week. What I did. Have you bought? Uh, well, you see, I went out to try and have like a day out. <laughs> Yay! Um, and uh, it was really nice. I went to uh, there's, there's a lovely local place called Sudley House in Liverpool, um, and it's. Uh, it, it's actually in the corridors between the house and going into the sort of like conservatory area, which is where they have the cafe. They've got some some nice prints of old wet plates um, that were shot of the family who uh, who lived in the house and what have you. And I always love going to see those. They're really lovely. Um, but uh, after I'd been around Sudley House and I had a little bit of cake and what have you um pop down pop down the road um to lark lane which is sort of like bohemian sort of like um 
place out in the sort of suburbs of Liverpool and uh, found a new found a new shop there had a little potter around looked in and then found that there was this really nicely like really nicely clean um uh, camera in there uh, which is actually it was a it's a Franca Salida one. Oh, nice um and it was it was in such lovely like condition i just thought i can't leave it on the shelf you know it, it wasn't it wasn't a bit battered and a little bit peeling and i was like i don't even know if this has ever had a film put through it it was like that clean so is yeah it, i thought oh, i need to pick it up <laughs> is it a folder it is yeah and um so medium format Yes, and it takes 120, so I don't have to convert anything. I can just chuck film in it and shoot with it. It doesn't have a uh, like a coupled rangefinder, if you like, or anything. Yeah. So um, either I'll need to guess or <laughs> just stick it well, to it has, infinity. <laughs> yeah, it has the, has the range on the um, focusing thing, though, doesn't it? Yes. I guess. Because um, the Franks thing were pretty good. I, I cannot remember any more about them, but I think they were pretty good cameras. Um, how much did you yeah. pay from Rach? Fez up. Mm, 20 quid. Uh, I'd have definitely bought it. I would. Would you? Okay. I was a bit like, oh, there's 20 quid. Ugh. The thing is, right, those cameras occupy, because as far as I'm concerned, cameras can kind of in some ways be divided into two groups. So there's the ones that you buy because you think, well, that's a good functional camera. Um, I'm going to grab it because it's a good price. And um, either I can pass it on to somebody else or it will do when all my other cameras have broken and died and I just can't afford to buy any more because they're all expensive now. (laughs) Or there's the ones that are super old and cool looking like, oh, this is a really nice thing. It looks nice. It's a a really Mm. interesting piece of photographic history. Or the best ones are the ones which are both. Like, oh, this takes 120 film. The shutter still works. Everything's good. I can enjoy looking at this and also I can take this out and use it all the live long day and get Mm. great you know square format or is it square format or is it six by seven or what is it i think it's square format i haven't put the roll through it yet i literally only got it like yesterday um anyway so uh, i've not i've not really looked any more into it yeah uh, but cool. i think it is yeah they're yeah. nice and as you said in good condition as well they're yeah. just they're yeah. just nice things to have and they're fun to use i love old folding cameras i absolutely <laughs> love them so pretty uh, you see i love i love my veto too you mm. see and i thought oh because that's like a, a mini version because that takes 35 mil um and i know how much i enjoyed shooting with that and it's one that i just sort of like sling around my neck and take it out and and i do shoot with it you know it's um like my olympus i obviously shoot with that probably the most um but for if i want to take something that's like that little bit smaller or a little bit different it's the bellows one i'd I'd pick that one up you know so i thought well this will be a nice medium format version of that almost in a way to try um and it just means that i know that i've got the film there ready that i can just pop in the back and and just make sure i actually go out with it rather than it sitting on the shelf yeah so from a a purely practical and financial point of view i mean if you think like so you've got a decent quality camera there with a glass mm. lens that you can focus and I don't I don't know what the range of shutter speed and apertures are, but they do have a, a reasonable selection. Five hundred. Yeah. So yeah. for twenty quid you've got something with far more flexibility than say for example a Holger, which yeah, will fold down true. and go in your bag and you know, will give you the same size negs and um yeah, they're really mm. good. I, I do think that those old folding cameras are a great way to get into medium format because you can find a lot of them pretty cheap. And yeah. at, at worst, as long as uh, the key thing 
is make sure the shutter works on them. Because if anything is going to go, it's yeah. going to be the shutter. Because that's like literally the only thing there is to go on them. Yes, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah. But you know, even the most shutter, basic- all of them, they seem to all sound right and they seem to look okay and everything. So yeah, good point though, Graham. You need to definitely check that because yeah. they can get gunked up. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I've got a, a you know, I think my most basic one is um, oh god, a Gert. I can't remember. It begins with a G. It's not Gershwin. It's something like a Gershwin, <laughs> if I remember old. So, but it's incredibly basic. But you know, even that, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to get similar results from this than I might do from something like uh, a Holger or something. And, mm. yeah. you know, they're fun. So that's very cool. Oh, well, it sounds like you've had a pretty good week then, Rachel, on that's the whole photography right. front. Yeah. So uh, doing some doing some shooting, doing some processing, picking up some cameras, getting donated some cameras can't be bad, can it? It's very good. It's very yeah. good. What have you been up to then? So that's been me. I um, Is the Jalubitel still alive? The is, is the question on all our lips. We've all been waiting to find out if it's still in one piece. Not only is the Jalubitel still alive, the Jalubitel has been doing some proper hard work. Um, really? This Sunday, so yesterday as we're recording, I had a uh, family gathering. We had a, well, it was going to be a garden party, but then it rained all day <laughs> for the first time in seven weeks. So we just I think fam- this is when we got the hail. You must have got all the rain. and Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, chucked it down. It was good. So all my family was there um and it was lovely to see everybody and i went with the plan in mind i took my jalubitel with me i had ordered a couple of packs of fresh instax mini film and <laughs> and okay i want to get a portrait of everybody there so that's what i did i sort of got to my brother's house where this was and um found a nice sort of little bit of exposed brick wall like right that's my backdrop and just got a portrait of everybody there and so I think did you do it as a selfie I didn't do it, no, because I can't get far enough away to get stuff. I did, the one person whose portrait I didn't get was mine, so I really didn't. I'm all meant. Could you do? Does it have a timer on your? Um, yeah, I mean it does. Uh, I mean obviously, you take, yes, it does. Yeah, it does. So it certainly could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, it's, it's a struggle to get two people in at the focal, sure. at the distance you can get away. But yeah, so I ended up shooting all all two packs of film, um, which is the most I've ever shot. So choose to do that. And yeah, just got a fun... You know, they're not super sharp, because, because you know, that's not, but they came up pretty well, actually. And um, I don't know quite what I'm going to do with them. I'm probably going to sort of get them all framed in one thing. But it's just really nice to just have everybody there and get just fun portraits of everybody. It is it is a great camera for doing that because it's not that sharp, which is perfect for portraits. Yeah, so you, you want it sharp enough for the size that it's mm-hmm. at, but it just blends everything else out and it worked yeah. really well um yeah really quite happy with it it just it just is working well um fantastic just- i realized that actually because of obviously the way that it you've had to engineer it that actually it's a portrait it's really it's a portrait camera now isn't it in its current state rather yeah. than you you're not able to shoot like a full group <laughs> of no, everybody and that's what i just realized because i was like oh you shoot the whole group make sure you put it on the timer so that you can shoot one you know with a view in the shot with everybody but yeah <laughs> now it makes sense yeah. because it's, it's really it's portrait camera now isn't it it's head shoulders so. yes exactly yeah. exactly i did try and take some portrait shots so i also had with me um the yashika 124 uh g um mm-hmm. I took that, and um i did 
I did try and I quick fired a few pictures. Um, it's been I've had a fit. I don't know what it is, but with some rolls of film, it's quite hard to wind it on. But I I stuck in a roll of um, expired portrait eight hundred I got because um, mm. the light levels weren't very good, and I was quick firing off a few pictures of uh, all the kids there. So in a little portrait group. So we'll see how they come out. I'm not expecting very much because I was really rushing because <laughs> <laughs> um, they were all fidgeting and my brothers in the background loudly mocking me for my choices with analog photography going look how easy this is with my phone oops there's one picture oops because he's an ass um not like me <laughs> um uh, but no it was really nice to get out with both those cameras oh, and uh, and um I, was, I got i bought my instax film uh from um analog wonderland you may have repeatedly heard so i ordered my film from them and I also ordered, because I wanted to make it worth the time getting it, I ordered a pack of the Kodak Pro Image 100 because it, mm-hmm. it it was great, actually. It was, what day was it? Wednesday? It was either Wednesday. Five? Five in the pack now? Yeah. So it was, it was yeah. either Tuesday or Wednesday. It's like, okay, I need to order this film for the weekend. Um, uh, it's probably Wednesday, actually, because I always like to leave things too late. And I'd gone on to the analog um Wonderland website and I had clicked on because I, I nagged for said there's no there's none of that Kodak Pro image on here so it's not in yet but they put the page up and I went and had a look and it's 20 I think 22 pounds for a five pack which is pretty good that's a good price for a pro film um so okay cool this is definitely what I want to buy but there was none in stock so um I got on Twitter and just messaged people going when's this coming in stock and by the time I looked back up to my screen, there was an email going, Kodak Pro Image is now in stock. I'm like, oh my Yay! God, I have magic powers. I ask for things. <laughs> so I instantly clicked on that and um, got my Pro Image. I haven't shot any yet, um, but it's, yeah, got my five pack of that, which I'm really looking forward to trying. And I also got my free roll of Kodak Color Plus. Um, oh, and now I just need fantastic. to decide who I am going to try and educate with that. Um, fantastic. I don't know yet. But. Well, um, it, I'd seen that the the first images from that have been coming in from the mm. competition, actually, haven't they? Which is exciting. So, uh, yeah, Paul sent me an email as well saying, ah, and so it begins. And then uh, there were loads of loads of shots coming through, clearly uh, from new beginners and people who were just trying it out for the first time, which is always lovely to see. So, uh, yeah, it seems to be going really well. Yes, it does. Actually, shall we do this now? Because as I mentioned last week, Paul's nagged me into mentioning this every week. So let's do it now. Worst <laughs> we're on the subject of this, um, this non-paid-for advert, which is why it's such a bad one. Um, so as we all know from listening to the show a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Summer Holidays competition is ongoing uh, as created by Analog Wonderland and Kodak. And the competition is just get out there, shoot some pictures from your Summer Holidays on Kodak film of any way shape or form i saw um there was an article which uh, i had to write again I, i'm not being paid for any of this somebody's a real mug and i think it might be me but for 35 mmc i wrote an article about this competition and one of the questions which somebody posted in the comments was well what about the kodak cinema film like the um vision films and also what about expired Kodak mm-hmm. film can we use that and um, I made Paul respond and Paul said yes absolutely of course you can use that so although they're not Kodak Alaris films if you've got those and you use them those count too that is official so that's all cool um, so yes get your um, pictures taken for that and get them sent in go to Analog Wonderland and you'll find the competition page front and centre uh, and of course the other part is that if during the next month up until I think it's the 3rd of September if you order any Kodak film and I can particularly recommend the um, 
pro well i haven't shot it yet but it's five rolls <laughs> of film for 22 pounds for new pro film which is pretty good it's definitely the cheapest way to get quality film um you get the free roll of kodak color plus 24 exposure the point of which is to try and get somebody else into shooting analog get somebody else to have the joy of their first what, what's the hashtag rach it's a uh, first film hang on <laughs> Sorry, uh, first frame of fun. The first they get. So this is why. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, to get their first frame of fun, and then yeah. if they get out there and shoot with that, then they can enter because the competition has two proficiency levels. So there's one group for experienced shooters, which is basically anybody who's been shooting for longer than a year, and another group for people who've only been shooting for the last or well, since January this year. Um, and the winners of both groups stand to win a wonderful goodie goodie bag from Kodak Alaris, um, including, but maybe not when the goodie bag turns up, one of the first rolls of Kodak Ektachrome to hit the shops. Um, so we don't know when that's coming yet. Um, so that might be a case of you get the goodie bag and then you get the Kodak Ektachrome a little bit later, but you will get mm-hmm. it. And that's pretty exciting in its own right. Um, so yeah. yes. So Sorry for mangling up that hashtag. So the hashtag is first frame of fun, um, which will be really nice if you can tag your image images in with that that doesn't actually enter you into the competition so you'd need to do that through the competition website itself so yeah, yeah. i said go to analog wonderland just, yeah exactly good way of sharing it yeah yeah, and we're seeing, uh, I see on Instagram, because they're posting um, a lot of the pictures that they get sent in. I think when you enter your submission, you can choose whether or not you're happy for them to share it. And clearly a lot of people are. So I've been seeing some really lovely summer holiday photos popping up on Instagram. So a really cool double exposure one today, which is very nice. Um, so yeah, it's just great. It's lovely to see people off having a good time whilst you and I are both busy at work, right? It doesn't do fair, <laughs> yeah. does it? Um, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, so that's very cool. And if my memory serves me correctly, because I haven't got the information in front of me, it goes on i think you've got until september the 3rd um to take part but you will find all of those details at analog one land um and yeah it's a good fun thing and um i hope i, I mentioned to aid have you been getting some pictures whilst you're there with, i forgot mm. to bring any kodak film with me I'm like you idiot oh what are you gonna do eh? what are you gonna do well he's, he's got a, he's got a little while after he gets back from holiday still so uh that's okay i'm sure he, he has can. he has listen i mentioned about the fact that i had some stuff come from um mm. analog one incidentally which included uh <laughs> Paul, Paul Yonks goes, oh, I've got something when you get your first order, because it's taken me that long to raise enough money to make my first order. There's a little something for your birthday. And it was the cutest little Lomo LCA key ring. It's so dinky oh. and so cool. It's totes adorbs and probably the best quality camera that Lomo have ever made, <laughs> even though it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't function as a camera, so it, it is very much a what Lomo What does it guy. do? It's a key ring. It just, it's just, uh, okay. it's, yeah, it just yeah. bees adorable, so that's good. It sounds very sweet. But I also got some other stuff in the post this week. It was a great week for me getting stuff in the post. Look at you. Bumper pack. So we have had, and now, I mean, I'm hoping that this is going to be the first in what will become a trend because I am so on board for this trend. We have had the first analogue entry for the Cheap Shots Challenge, the first fully analogue entry. So Tony Skokovic, who um, was one of the winners, of the last round of the Cheap Shots Challenge sent me two postcards as his pictures um, for the Cheap Shots Challenge. Tony, uh, also oh, please email them to me because otherwise I'll have to digitise them and that's a faff and also got some ink on them. Um, but they're really cool and they're proper darkroom prints as well. So they're Yay. lovely shots and they've come all the way from Canada. So thank you so much for that, Tony. They're lovely pictures. Um, 
So that was really nice to get those, a complete surprise. Um, also, funnily enough, from the other winner of last month's uh, last round of the Cheap Shots Challenge, Alex Purcell, I got a darkroom print as well. Now, I actually recently um, fobbed off on Alex an enlarger, following on from the enlarger talk, because I had one that I wasn't using. Because two two is too many, it turns out. Um, so that was your enlarger that Alex was okay. making far better use yeah. of than I ever would and indeed ever will. And Alex sent me this beautiful print that he made from the day that he and I went out for a walk in Wales back in February when we went on holiday. Mm. And it's lovely. It's a really lovely print. It sickens me that Alex has been using that enlarger for like 10 minutes and is already making great quality <laughs> prints in it. Whereas I can't get anywhere with mine. But... um. Never mind. So that was fantastic. So thank you very much for that, Alex. That was really lovely to see. And finally, um, from Paul Friday, who we have mentioned in the past in relation to Cheap Shots Challenge, um, because uh, Paul is <laughs> the proud owner of the Rico Marai, <laughs> the wheelbarrow transformer with a bad back. Um, anyway, Paul uh, sent me some stickers. He sent me some very cool stickers with a uh, badly drawn yellow duck on it, which I'm a big fan of because I like badly drawn ducks, um, to celebrate the fact that Paul has started his own blog, uh, which I will give a shout out to. So to find Paul's blog, you need to go to, I'm going to just spell it out. It is fupduckphoto.wordpress.com. So that's photo. Uh, I can't possibly imagine what that's going for. I'm very impressed that you managed to get through that. Well yeah. done, Grim. Fupduckphoto.wordpress.com. <laughs> um, and Paul's got a few bits that he's written on there already. I would highly recommend going have a look. Because if you recall um, Paul's emails that he sent in, Paul is a, an amusing writer, a very enjoyable and fun writer. And um, he, the way he writes about his adventures are most entertaining. So go and check it out. Definitely worth a look. And um, yeah, maybe if you badger Paul, maybe he'll send you some <laughs> stickers as well. I put one of his stickers on my Jalubatel because they're just cool little yellow ducks. So if you need a little yellow duck, a badly drawn yellow duck sticker, um, then check that out. Uh, so that's very good. That's all the stuff I got sent in the post. As Ooh. mentioned, we have got a bumper crop of emails that we're going to get through because, like I said, these are lots of cheap shots challenges. They are coming in. You have got – how long have they got left, Rach? How long have what got left? The cheap shots challenges. How much longer until? Oh, it's um, the 11th of August is the cutoff point deadline. There you go. So there will be less than 10 days when you hear this. So mm. if you have got pictures, get them in. Um, we have I already... suppose that includes us, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Rachel. So we need to get our fingers out quite quickly. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we've already got more entries than we've ever had before. And I, I haven't had a long look at any of the pictures, but... The quick scanning of them I've done, the quality is fantastic. I pity Johnny's job when he comes on the show because he has got one hell of a judging job in front of him because um, I have sent some beautiful pictures, so I'm really excited to go through this. Graham, just remind us who's coming on to judge. So joining us to judge that is Johnny Sisson, who is one of the hosts, uh, one of the adorable, if wrong, hosts from the Classic Camera Lenses show. Um, Johnny is uh, a very entertaining chap, as they all are on that show, uh, but John Johnny is the one um, who is the most uh, irreverent and most likely to swear and most likely to cause trouble. So, so as somebody said, very much the groom of the Classic Lenses podcast. So it should be absolute <laughs> chaos on this show. 
uh, it'd be really good fun. And um, but he really knows his stuff. Um, I can never remember the name of the camera shop he works in, but he works in a very um, well-respected camera shop in I want to say Chicago. Definitely somewhere. It does in. sound very cool, though. Yeah. 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 Um, and he has loads of cool cameras and um, they're always buying stuff and uh, they waffle on a lot about lenses on that show but it's a good show and it's very entertaining and I enjoy listening and um, I'm really looking forward to having Johnny joining us um, but yeah he's got his work cut out so um, with that thought in mind Rach should we get to some of these emails about the stuff that's been coming in do you want to take this first one from Toby yeah sounds good so Toby says Toby Toby says hi some beamers I finally managed to get my act together and shoot a role for the Cheap Shots Challenge. Fantastic. Um, it's his first time entering. It was in my recently acquired Voigtlander Besser. Lovely camera. Mm-hmm. The camera cost me £15 from a local camera fair. That is a very good deal. And I was so keen to own it, I failed to notice a smallish round hole in the back of its door until I got home. The vendor also didn't point it out. Uh-oh. <laughs> he says, yep, uh, he says, I patched that with black card and gaffer tape, then shot a 10-year-old OOD um, roll of T-Max 400 in it. Overall, I feel that shooting with pre-fogged film wasn't my best move, <laughs> but I had to develop it to find out that it was fogged. The next was so dense, I'm currently using them as a doorstop. <laughs> um, he says, I did manage to pull an image out of the darkness, and it is a landscape-ish. I casually use my mobile and Snapseed to do the post work, so hence the lack of 90-degree angles. Oh, this sounds, grief. you know... This sounds you know, like the really level precise. of half-arse that you normally yeah. bring to the table, Rach. <laughs> Oi! <laughs> um, I will be in trouble if this ends up being my only entry into the latest round of the Cheap Shots Challenge competition. Next up is a 14-year-old AOD roll of Provia <laughs> Pro 100, because who needs an easy life? Uh, Kitty, that's his that's his daughter, isn't it? Uh, Kitty has promised to enter as well this time. She'll be using her Geoflex 2, bought for a tenner from the same camera fair. He says, I have re-spooled some medium format Ilford HP5 Plus onto a 620 spool, so it fits this little cutie. He says, good luck to all the other entrants this round. It's great that you have our biggest amount, you have your biggest amount of entries so far. All the more challenges to Jeremy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, oh, he says, Rachel, brilliant news about your Etsy shop selling out. I wish I'd been a bit quicker in pulling the trigger on one of those kits. Well, actually, Toby, it's okay because because they sold out, I uh, got busy and sorted out uh, a next batch. And um, although half have sold out this week, um, there are still just some available at the moment. So that's good. So there are some there. If you if you um, search for Little Vintage Photo Co. on Etsy, hopefully I should come up and you'll find my analog adventure kits there. So there you go. Very cool. Do you want to finish off the email? Now you finish oh, plugging yourself. Oh I, my goodness, you've got, you got lost in your own advert halfway. Through. <laughs> I, it, well, he says, keep on keeping on, you three. And then he says, ta-ta for now from Tobermory. And then I realised that I missed the bit, which is the PS. He says, just a quick PS to my last email. Over on Twitter, there is going to be a hashtag cyanotypes print party, which is P-A-R-T-E-H. I believe party spelt correctly was taken. <laughs> um he says it's organised by the good folks over at the at print party uh, account. He said this will take place August the 5th till September the 3rd. And uh, please can you give it an analogue shout out to encourage as many peeps as possible to join in. 
so yeah, he says, I've been warming up all week and not just because of the heat wave. It's been fantastic cyanotypes weather for ages. So there we go. Sorry, Toby. I, I didn't realize that you also had the PS on the email. So that's good to know. Um, the print party. Have you ever had a chance to take part in that, Graham? No, I haven't. Well, I mean, I've, I've had the chance and I've completely missed it. But yes, uh, is it Monica, it looks one of the main really, organisers behind yes. the print party? Yeah, from print party, uh, which is print, spelt as you would normally, and then party, P-A-R-T-E-H. So they're on Twitter and uh, it's a very well populated thread. And uh, I'd suggest everybody go and have a little look, check it out. Looks like they're doing a Cyanotypes version of print party itself. So, um, yeah, nice. It'll be really good. Yes, certainly is. Um, and uh, I did see that Toby on Twitter was t- talking about the fact that he sent some rolls of film off, uh, presumably the Provia, the Oud Provia, um, mm-hmm. to be developed. So uh, hopefully he'll get his shots back in time. Uh, I also saw that his cyanotype chemicals turned up on the day that it was tipping down with rain. So <laughs> <laughs> that seems about right. Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, just to remind you of the dates for that, that one's taking place from the August the 5th till September the 3rd. So uh, yeah. Yep. Right, I'll take the next couple because the first okay. one's a quickie. So the first one is from our good friend and past Cheap Shots winner, as well as many other winners of things, J.M. Golding. Uh, Jen writes, hi, Graham, because she knows I was on the emails. She knows mm-hmm. me. Um, that was a very <laughs> cool codec episode. It certainly was. Andy was brilliant. Paul was, mm-hmm. you know, but <laughs> bringing the average down. I was intrigued to hear that Brett, question mark, is working on making a 127 film. A new 127 film is a big deal. May I please have more information? I can't find anything on the Analog Wonderland site or via web search. Would love to have something to put on my 127 site or at least follow along with that. Um, what Jeremy is talking about is Brett, which is spelled B-R-E-T-Z, who have a couple of films at the moment currently on Analog Wonderland, a 35mm films, but they are working on a 127 film. And hopefully, um, if I can get myself organised and get them organised or get Henry organised at Brett's, um, we will have Henry on to talk to us about what they're doing over there with their current films and what they're working on with the 127 film and everything that goes into that very soon um and we will make sure jam that you get any information that we get when we get it so um this thank you for keeping on with that uh it's always good jam runs the uh one two seven day so that is why there's the keen interest in one two seven film i'm very excited about it as well nice mm. to be able to keep our little cameras going and it's been interesting seeing so many people saying oh i've got um the yashika 44 and it's a roliflex 4x4 as well isn't it there's quite a few good quality mm-hmm. 4x4 cameras out there so that'd be cool yeah well it's, it's been nice to just actually shoot with and process you know my first proper roll of 127 if you like so that's been really nice to have a chance to do that and uh, like you say get some more of these cameras back into use exactly okay next email is from nelson mullis nelson writes in hello sunnies i've been listening for some time now and like roger lund began listening when simon forster was on and have been keeping up and occasionally skipping back through some of the older podcasts always looking forward to a new episode you have some great guests I originally started collecting old lenses to adapt to digital, then about a year ago gave film a try, started developing and am now completely out of control. Yay! (laughs) Trying different cameras, films and development techniques. Love how film cameras are so cheap, for the most part. 
and I don't care what Hamish or Johnny Sisson say, <laughs> I'm with Graham. The Fujika ST605 is a fine camera. Yes, I mean, this This has been a long-running squabble that's been going on cross-podcast that I've been arguing with them about. Because um, I love my little Fujika ST605, and Hamish and Johnny both say that Fujika cameras are rubbish, and they are wrong, so find them on Twitter and tell them so. Um, <laughs> with all the lenses, I really dig SLRs, but... Since this is the Cheap Shop Challenge, I have to tell you I found a local junk store as opposed to a thrift store. This place is huge and cluttered, dusty and dirty and very poorly air conditioned. This is the southeast US. You don't know what <laughs> hot is in England. <laughs> I'm, I think he's right with that. <laughs> can only imagine. Whew. The store has a literal pile of old point-and-shoot cameras that I love to pick through. Lots of trashed cameras with corroding batteries and film still in them. I have been lucky enough, however, to find an Ollie XA and a stylus that were minty and Ooh. costed one dollar each. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> well, to be fair, I got my XA for donated, so that's okay. But yeah. uh, you know, one dollar. Yeah, it's amazing. And a Konica C35EF with case for $5, all tested fine with film. Attached are two photos. The first was taken with the Olympus, the $1 Olympus stylus, Arista Edu 200, home developed in Rodinor. I love that he really has delved into this both feet. Good for you, Larson. Um, It was taken at the Bond Swamp National Wildlife Refuge located in central Georgia. The second was taken at a beach on St. Simon's Island, also in Georgia, with a Samson Evoca point-and-shoot panoramic camera. $16. Actually went to the bay for this one. This camera has a Schneider Kreuznach... That's a hard name to pronounce. Goodness me. Schneider Kreuznach <laughs> um, lens. I mean, that's pretty amazing in its own right, because we were talking about medium format lenses, yeah. sorry, large format lenses earlier, and that's where you see those. Using Lomo Color 100... Home developed in Unicolor C41. See, he's even doing C41, Rach. This is... And and bear in mind, he started listening when Simon was on, so, you know. I'm amazed. This is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Both were scanned on an Epson V600. Wish you well and keep up the good work. So thank you very much, Nelson. That's awesome. And I'm I'm very glad to see that uh, you, after starting off on the dark side, just adapting uh, film lenses (laughs) to digital cameras, you have gone the full bore on the analogue. Rach, do you want to take the next one from Kerry Jeffrey? Uh, Yes, she says, um, hello, sun gods. He, he. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what did I say? She. Did I? Sorry. Um, so, so sorry, Kerry. Um, hello, Sun Gods. I'm sorry you've all been sweltering this summer, but book up. You've still got August to go. Hooray! Um, my cheap shots camera this time is the Konica C35 Auto. It was $10 from a junk box at the Seattle Camera Show. That's $5 more than Nelson paid for his. <laughs> <laughs> the light seal foam is completely gone, but what's a little electrical tape between friends? It's very easy to use this camera. The lens is fairly sharp and it's a cheap way to learn your way around a rangefinder. It says, for the cheap shots challenge, I stayed close to home and skulked around the woods and creeks near where I grew up. The first image is of an old boat called a, I'm assuming, Gil? Jill? Netta? What do you think, Graham? Uh, let's go with Gil. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. Yes, that makes sense. Now quietly mouldering away at a place called Napton Cove on the Washington side of the Columbia River. The second shot is from Upper Beaver Creek Falls. 
just a short drive from where I grew up. All shot on Try X. Thanks for the great podcast. Well, where That's was brilliant. That? So where was that second shot from? Again, right? The second one is from Upper Beaver Creek Falls, which is just a short drive from where he grew up. Ah, thanks. You're welcome. Would you uh, like to take the next one? Yeah, sorry. Just, just getting control of myself. Okay. Uh, the next shot is from the lovely Angela Solis. Um, at this is Jella on Instagram and Twitter as well, who we love very much, and it's always lovely to hear from. Angela writes in, Hello, Sunbeams. Sorry for missing out on the last challenge. I had some photos taken, but somehow not too confident with the results I had. Majority were actually blurred because, let's just say, I put too much trust on my cheap shots camera. <laughs> Although the photo of my bread that uh, the photo of the bread that my <laughs> husband made was actually good in retrospect. I've included it here for you guys to see. Oh, I'm really excited to see that. Uh, yeah, some bread. Anyway, my submissions for the Landscape Challenge are attached. These were taken during the Canada Day long weekend when we went to the Scarborough Bluffs Park with scenes along the coastline of Lake Ontario. We went there later in the afternoon, and despite us feeling miserable because of the unbearable hot and humid weather, the photos turned out nice. Photos are taken using the Pentax SBO SW120, which is a cool little point-and-shoot, with Kodak Ektar 100 expiring next month. Mm. Cheers! So thank you very much, Jella. I think Jella's having a bit of a rough time at the moment, so our thoughts are with you. Um, do you want to take the next one, Rach, from Andrew Wormsley? Do I want to take the next one? Yes. <laughs> Considering, okay, you set me up for the last one. Um, so Andrew says, hey, all, I have come across your podcast by pure chance and loved it. Yay. I'm going through from the start. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, good luck. Uh, he says, wanted to reach out and say, I've listened to the episode with Paul at Analog Wunland and Andrew from Kodak Alaris. It's so nice to hear that other people are still so keen on film and keeping it alive. Recently, I started my podcast journey discussing photography in general, too. My casts are more interview based and specific to each guest, but I'm going to feature film artists as much as possible, too. I'm trying to reach out, reach out to all areas of photography, which so far has included photographers, makeup artists, models and studio owners. Um, he says, I would love to have you guys on board if you'd be interested, if you want to find out more about me. Uh, here's my website. It's phlogger.co.uk. Yep. And here is my podcast show. So he's uh, sent over a link to that as well. So uh, thank you very much, Andrew. He says it would be cool to podcast about podcasters, <laughs> especially since we are also mad about film too. Thanks from Andy. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to have a listen to the, I guess, flogger would be the way. So, yeah, if you're, look, yes. you're searching on this, um, it looks it's a, it's a radiopublic.com forward slash flogger. Um, and the search for Flogger and Andrew Warms, you'll probably find it. Haven't had a chance to have a listen to it yet, but um, he looks like he's had some interesting guests on. And yeah, I mean, having people like makeup artists and um, di you know, different areas of uh, photography would be really interesting because, you know, that's the thing I don't know anything about. So, mm. um, and as always, we would love to send Rachel off to anywhere to go and be our ambassador because I can't be trusted <laughs> as an ambassador <laughs> for anything. So, um, no, definitely not. You, you can't even be trusted to be nice about me when I come back. <laughs> No, that's true. That's true. People should learn from this. People should learn that if I can't behave on my own podcast, I'm going to be worse on yours. <laughs> uh, wait till the negative positives discover that firsthand. Um, 
Okay. The you next, want to take the next one? I mm-hmm. do indeed. The next one is from Mark Prestige. Mark writes in, Hi Sunbeams. Firstly, can I say how much I enjoy your podcast? I only discovered oh. it a few weeks ago and I am slowly ah. working through some of the older episodes. This is so nice. We've got quite a few, haven't we, who've yeah. uh, come across us recently. Great. Yeah, well, I think having code <laughs> and really on recently has definitely helped. Um I started film photography about two years ago to help with my mental health, and it has really helped me through some difficult times. I'm a lot better and settled now, and I find it such an important part of my life. I attached two photographs for the Landscape Cheap Shot Challenge, both taken on a Lomo Cosmic Symbol bought from that well-known auction site for a tenner. (laughs) Now, the Lomo Cosmic Symbol, that's the good one i, I think, don't know that it? i've not I, I don't know what that looks like i'm gonna have to uh aiden and I, yeah aiden and i had a long, do you have one uh, i've got a lomo cosmic something i think there's two symbols there's a good one and a bad one and i've got the bad one and he's got the good <laughs> one um but anyway um the black and white one is of dreamland in margate on lomo earl gray film and the color one is of hastings on lomo 100 film dreamland in margate that sounds uh, like an oxymoron frankly um also i was given a load of expired film that had been cold stored picture attached it included 10 rolls of kodak photo photomicrography color film 2483 which is a specialist film used for taking pictures of microscope slides it's wow. rated at ASA 16, uh, and also this uses the same development as Kodachrome E4, which makes it difficult for me to use. No kidding! <laughs> Silverpan, uh, the very cool lab we mentioned a few weeks ago, have kindly said they would give it a go developing in a reduced temperature E6, Ooh. so I might give a roll a go. Hey, why not? What have you got to lose? Let's <laughs> Let the guys at Silver Plan figure out that problem. But to get to the point, if anyone would like a role, I would be more than willing to let them have some or maybe do a film swap. So um, if anybody's interested in doing a film swap with some cool uh, Kodak Color Film 2483, what you need is Mark and his Instagram handle is A underscore life underscore lived. Hit him up on there. That's Mark. And that's where the recording stopped, unfortunately, this week, missing off the last few emails. But not to worry, we'll get back to those again next week. They'll be just as good then, and they were only a few quicker ones, so it won't be too bad. Uh, Rachel won't be with us next week, but Aid will be back from his summer holidays, so we can hear all about his lovely adventures and what a great time he's been having. Don't forget, you've got until the 11th of August to get your entries for the Cheap Shop Challenge in. Uh, We've had a good lot in. Um, The quality, as I've already mentioned in this show, is fantastic. So if you've been leaving it to the last minute, this is the last minute. Uh, Rachel and I have been leaving it to the last minute, so we're going to be very busy this next week. That's why Rachel's taking some time off, I think, just so she can cheat. Find us, as always, listeners, at Sunny16Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. And, of course, you can hunt us down our website, sunny16podcast.com. I'm going to leave you this week with the third instalment in Eric's epic adventures. Let's hope he's somewhere more cheery this week. Uh, And until next week, from uh, an absent Rachel, but a hear me, goodbye. Greetings, sunshiners. Uh, this is Eric from Conspiracy of Cartographers. Uh, I thought I'd check in again with how my travels are going. Uh, I've been on the road for about uh, over two weeks now, getting a little road weary, but uh, 
when I last left you, uh, I was about to cross Kansas, going west to east. Uh, that was about a week ago. Um, I've since crossed, and I've shifted a bit south, and I'm in Oklahoma, just north of the, uh, the Washita River. Um, each of the past seven or eight days, however long it's been, um, through Kansas, uh, were externally identical. Uh, it's not to say they were boring or anything like that, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, they were certainly photogenic. Um, but each day was, was basically the same structure. Um, when you're working with an entire day, you realize, uh, just how essential light is to photography. Um, morning and evening light being the most essential, or most, eh, essential. Uh, so uh, this meant that I was necessarily up before dawn every single day. I'd roll up my sleeping bag, strike the tent, and be rolling again before sun, um, not, not before sunrise, before the sun climbed right over the horizon. Um, the best time to photograph small towns, which is mostly what I was doing, uh, is in the morning. Uh, Sunday mornings are the absolute best, because everybody's, everybody's kind of in their houses till they have to go to church, so you've got a good three hours to, to really take, take in a, several towns. Um, uh, of course, this, this, uh, this means that, well, with, when you're in the morning and the sun is usually shining on one side of the, of the town, you get to photograph only, only half the town, um, the half that, that's in, in the light. The rest, it's, it's just too much in shadow and honestly, just not worth the trouble. So I just kind of ignore it, unless it's something like really, really compelling. I, I just ignore that that half. Um, from sunrise until about 10, 30, 11, um, I drive from town to town photographing everything I can. Ideally, um, I would travel west in the morning and east in the evening, taking advantage of all the light that I could, but this wasn't possible, so I kept one eye in the rearview mirror to be sure that I, I didn't miss anything. Uh, and I got quite a few photos from that little trick. Um, that said, some towns are morning towns with everything you want to photograph in the light, and then some towns are evening towns with nothing to see when you drive in. It's just everything's in shadow, and so you, you grumpily uh, drive away. But, you know, these, these are the, I guess, the, the, the small price you pay. Um, so, over the hours of Meridian, when the sun is highest in the sky, uh, everything's awash in harsh, boring light. And mostly I don't shoot. Uh, unless I find something uh, irresistible, I, I don't even bother. Um, but if you have a film that leans hard into contrast, like the Arista um, Ortholitho, uh, or any Ortholitho film, um, shoot it then, because you'll have a, a less shadows and, and it'll be less contrasty. Just a tip. Um, so around noon-ish, uh, I break for lunch, and I cook it in a tiny backpacking stove in a, in a titanium uh, pot. Um, so the, the smaller your non-photography gear, the more photography gear you can pack. So think like a backpacker when you're packing, even for the car. And uh, you have a lot more room. It's really nice. Um, as, the, as the sun slips west throughout the afternoon, I'll begin shooting again, but I noticed that uh, on this trip, it's something that I noticed on other trips, and I was hoping it wouldn't happen, but around five, around five in the afternoon, 
Uh, I don't know if it's the light or just the road weariness or, or what, but I slip into a real, real harsh melancholia. It's overtaking, it's intense, and it's just unrelenting. I found no real cure for this at all, and if I'm not careful, I won't shoot a single frame after you know, four or five because of this. Um, I can sometimes break out of it if I'm in a town that's, that's large, and I can explore to so keep my mind off of just road loneliness, I guess. Um, Sometimes I'll, I'll walk around a, a, a department store or, or a mall or something like that just to kind of have some kind of stimuli that, that's not old, broken down, down, down the buildings. Um, just some kind of uh, connection with people. I, I find myself talking to someone for, for an extended period of time and I'm not really a chatty person. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm that guy that you meet and can't get away from. Hi. Um, but soon after that, around six or seven, I'll find my camp for the night and I busy myself with preparing the, the tent and, and maybe getting a little bite to eat or, or, you know, getting the cameras ready for the next day. Um, so one quick story. This, this past week, um, huh, there's a little scorpion. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, sorry. This past week, um, I had the chance to, uh, take a hike among bison. And that's something that, that I never thought I'd be able to do because it's an insane thing to do. But this place lets you hike among bison. And I've been around cattle before, and cattle are skittish and, and, and very uh, shy of you. Um, bison just don't give a damn about you. And uh, if, you, if you find that you're, you're too focused on photography, hike around bison. Uh, it'll make you pay attention to your surroundings a little bit more than you normally would. So it was, it was morning, um, just at dawn, and there was a, a, I was on a hill, a grassy hill, and there was a big bull bison, one of the bigger ones I've ever seen, just ambling his way towards me. And so I crossed over to his left, trying to get on a sun, sunlit side, uh, but he kept turning with me. And the, the more I, I, I went uh, to my right, the more he turned to his left. And it seemed like he was coming at me. He was. He was coming directly at me. Um, and I, I tried so hard to get a shot, and so the further I moved to the right, the further he moved to his left. And finally, uh, when, he, when he got too close, I, I, I had to break off the attempt. Um, like he wasn't you know, really coming at me. He just, he just didn't care about me. Bison, unless you're really messing with them, just don't give a damn about you. So he passed me within a few feet and just oh, huffed a bit and lumbered on. Um, clearly wasn't amused by me, but but didn't really seem to care. Now, these bison are obviously very used to, to people. If you're in uh, places where they have a larger area to roam, don't mess with bison, because they will, they will mess you up. Um, but if you, if you get a chance to do a solo photography adventure, even for the weekend, do it. I'm learning a lot about photography, and about myself, and about Oh god, about a lot of things. So, I, I would really suggest doing this. Um, I've got about a week left of my travels, and I'll, I'll check in again one more time to uh, wrap up the, the last week and to say a final goodbye. So, until then, see you later!